What is up, YouTube? Welcome into a Tuesday edition of Midday with Trey and BK live on Texas Sports Unfiltered. And we've got a special show today. Normally, it's Trey and I going from 12 to 1, but today at 1 o'clock, Trey and Kevin Dunn. That's right. KD is going to take my place. I'm going to get kicked off. He's going to jump on, and then Trey and Kevin will be with you live from 1 to 2. Trey, a couple of hours of great content coming your way. And uh, congrats to you, and I appreciate you pulling a double shift today. Thank you very much for your service, my friend. Well, this week was uh, when Kevin and I were planning on doing our very first show. And we'll actually get to do two shows this week, which is the plan going forward. One of those two shows, BK, is going to be during the midday show. That's because you're going to be in transit from Houston to Austin on Friday. We're excited to get you back in the city. So are all those dirty 6th Street heifers. But uh, KD is uh, thankfully nice enough to uh, to hop on from 12 to 1 on Friday. But I'm excited and there's always a, a chance that when Kevin and I decide to start chopping it up, one, it's not going to stick strictly to sports, although we will talk sports. We're going to get into a lot of other stuff, including uh, our societal ills, the things that annoy us the most driving around the great city of Austin. Uh, looking forward to that. Yeah, I've got a few errands to run this afternoon, so uh, I'll be in my car listening to something that we're going to announce a little bit later today. But I'll be locked in, excited to hear what you and Kevin have in store today and what y'all have in store on Friday. And, oh, man, the two of you together, that is dangerous. It's entertaining for me. It's dangerous for everybody else. Yeah, well, the funny thing is, is that as much as Kevin and I talk, because we talk a lot at night, just ask my wife, we don't always talk about uh, Texas Longhorn football, even though we both love Texas Longhorn football. So it'll be interesting to actually – hear his preseason thoughts on the Longhorns and uh, go back and forth a little bit on that. But yeah, spoiler alert, we will be talking about people who suck at parking and then also other schmohawks that uh, that you encounter in the grocery store. Uh, so keep it locked into Texas Sports Unfiltered from now until 2 o'clock. Please like this video. Please subscribe to the channel if you haven't yet. We're nearing 4,000 subscribers we're only in week two of Texas Sports Unfiltered. So thank you guys so much for your continued support to this point. And I've teased it before, and I will continue to tease it until we get there. When we hit 5,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel, we're going to have a massive giveaway. And it won't just be an item given away to one person. We're going to be giving away a ton of stuff to a number of different people. Yeah, we are going to pay you guys back for supporting this channel while it's on the ground floor. So subscribe, obviously spread the word. The quicker we get to 5,000, the quicker you have a chance to uh, cash in on those great prizes we're going to be giving away. At the expense of possibly saying the quiet part out loud, BK, something that I should be asking you about behind the scenes, I feel like we should come up with something humiliating that somebody from this channel needs to partake in as part of that 5,000 celebration too. <laughs> what, like a bet payoff, even though no one loses a bet? Yeah, something like that. Maybe not a, a bus trip to El Paso, something oh. a little bit easier to accomplish over the course of an hour. But yeah, I think one of us should have to deal with some public humiliation as a thanks to the people out there. Okay, I don't hate that idea. Maybe I'm volunteering myself since I'm throwing the idea out there. Yeah, I'll, I'll be the one who deals with the public humiliation so the people can help decide what that needs to be. Yeah, one of our giveaways has to be the person who wins gets to publicly humiliate you in a form or fashion that he or she chooses. 
Like they get to pick how to embarrass you, and that is their prize for being one of our giveaway winners when we get to five thousand subs. Dude, if that's if that's the giveaway, we're gonna hit ten thousand soon after we hit five thousand. With everybody <laughs> wanting to jump on board that one. Oh man, yeah, we're gonna have an even bigger giveaway when we get to ten thousand subscribers. But uh, that's a little bit down the road. Hopefully not too far down the road, but got to get to five k first. So looking forward to that. Obviously excited about where this channel is going. Appreciate you guys coming along for the ride. So we've got a loaded show from 12 to 1. We'll talk plenty of Texas football. There is an anonymous Big 12 coach who is saying that he expects Arch Manning to replace Quinn Ewers at some point this season. We'll get into that and try to figure out who that anonymous coach might be. We'll have Where Are We At in Society at the end of the show. A couple of great stories that Trey has in store for us today, including maybe a future bet payoff for somebody on this channel. Uh, we'll talk about the... Ah, Sandra Bullock situation. Yes, I am accusing Sandra Bullock of lying about the adoption of Michael Orr in the documentary called The Blind Side. Yeah, I think I have that story right. We'll get into that. I think and, her longtime partner just died. We may want to ease up on Sandy Bullock a little bit. Her longtime partner just died. Yeah, long time. I don't know if they were married, but like the guy that she had been seeing for a long time just kicked the bucket. Well, she was probably telling people they were married, but she didn't have the actual paperwork that said they're married. Wow, that is ruthless. Sorry about that. Jeez. Well, she, her and Tim McGraw deserve it. So we'll, we'll get into the details on that in a little bit. But uh, let's start off with some Texas football conversation. Trey, the preseason AP poll was released yesterday. It came out a little bit after we got off the air at 1 o'clock. And no surprise who's at the top. The two-time defending champion Georgia Bulldogs getting 60 of a possible 63 first-place votes. So not a unanimous pick, but very, very close to it. Michigan, number two. Ohio State, number three. How about Alabama? When's the last time they've started outside of the top three in a preseason top 25? It feels like a rarity when they're not number one. Uh, they're number four, and then LSU rounding out the top five. Before we get to where the Longhorns are, uh, your thoughts on uh, the top five from the AP voters? Um, I don't really have any big issues with it. I'm, I know that Michigan brings back a lot on both sides of the ball, but I'm still kind of in wait and see mode with them. Was last year more of a fluke? We know Ohio State has had sustained success over time. And uh, yeah, it must be nice for Alabama to not feel slighted necessarily, but to be disappointed that they fall to uh, number four to start the season. Uh, again, just uh, enjoy enjoy your riches, enjoy your wealth, because it's all very relative. Like Texas fans feel good about being 11 right now, even though we think that we could uh, squeak into the top 10 pretty quickly. Like Texas Longhorns sometimes are around the top 10 to top 15 to start the season, but uh, we're perfectly content right here, whereas Alabama fans are probably calling for Nick Saban's head right now. Yep, and I hope they'll be calling for his head even more the night of September 9th, right? That would be a hell of a lot of fun. But yeah, Alabama opened up last year as the preseason number one. Even though Georgia won the title two years ago, Bama was the preseason number one last year. They had Bryce Young coming back. Everybody kind of assumed that uh, they would beat Alabama. They didn't make the playoff. They obviously lose Bryce Young. So an opportunity here for the Longhorns, you would think, in week two. Maybe it's funny that we're calling Alabama down when they're preseason number four, but maybe catching Alabama in a little bit of a down year. And you mentioned it, Texas coming in at number 11. This feels this feels right, right? Like there have been years where Texas, because of the brand, because of the name, has been ranked 
in certain spots in the top 25 where they probably shouldn't have been. But when you think about the talent that this team has, them being right around the top 10, just on the outside looking in, that feels like a pretty fair depiction of what this Longhorn team should be in 2023. Yeah, I think that's true, at least to start. I mean, there are people who are still in wait and see mode. They see that things are aligning for this Longhorn uh, program in a way that should lend itself to success in their final season in the Big 12 should compete for a conference title and uh, find themselves in that championship game that first Saturday of December. But we all know the Texas is back trope and we've all uh, bit on that pump fake uh, at least once, if not more than once over the last few years now. So does it seem like uh, right now is uh, the perfect opportunity for Texas to truly be back? Yes. But we've also seen the, uh, the hard luck that this program has dealt with and also the, uh, the misfortune that they've kind of dealt themselves at times through various coaching regimes and guys not performing up to expectations. I think this year is different. A lot of other people do. That's a sturdy limb that I'm going out on there. But uh, 11 is a good spot to show them, look, we think that you're capable of something this year, but you're going to have to prove it to us to end up inside the top 10. And like you just said, BK, they get to do that two weeks into the season. Even if they don't win that game in Tuscaloosa, if they can play it close like they did here in Austin last year, then I think that will go a long ways in helping this team to uh, really build the confidence necessary to uh, to find successes throughout the rest of that season with conference play happening just a couple of weeks later. Yeah, look, if they win that game at Alabama, they might jump into the top five, right? Forget just the top ten. Like We saw what happened when Texas beat Notre Dame a few years ago in what was an incredible game that turned out to mean absolutely nothing because both teams sucked that year. But Texas went from like unranked to, what, number 11 or something ridiculous like that. If you go into Tuscaloosa, I don't care if Alabama has quarterback questions. I don't care if this is the lowest preseason ranking they've had in a long time. If you go into T-Town and win – on the road at their house, then yeah, you're going to get a big time boost in the AP poll. So that could be happening for Texas, right? Like if they, if they keep it close and they make it competitive, then they're not going to fall a ton. But if they go out there and win that game against the Crimson Tide, then all of a sudden we could be talking about a top five team and the expectations, like you said, they're already there. The limb that you're going out on is pretty sturdy, but the expectations go from where they are now, which is already kind of high to something astronomical. Yeah, I could see those two teams switching places if Texas wins that game, where Alabama ends up at like 10 or 11, and Texas either ends up at at 5 or 4. And I'm not recalling off the top of my head who LSU starts their season with, but if uh, the the top five teams right now, other than Alabama, all have uh, pretty cupcake starts to their regular season, then yeah, Texas is proven more than uh, any of the others at the top. And so I, I think that a, uh, a top five ranking would be warranted at that point. But my only concern with that, BK, as a Texas fan, is I've seen what a little bit of success has done to this program over the last almost 15 years now. It goes to their head pretty quickly and causes them to lose sight on the task at hand. And even though you uh, catch maybe a little bit of a break with Wyoming that following week in Austin, you have to get ready because that first conference game this year is a tricky one it is Baylor at Baylor your final game in Waco there will hopefully be a decent Longhorn contingent there but you also know Bears fans get fired up for every home game uh, 
at that stadium. And that will certainly be the case for that Texas game too. And I have Baylor as my bounce back team in this conference this year as well. I think Baylor, they may not be a, a big 12 champ when it's all said and done, like what happened a couple seasons ago, but I think they're going to be very competitive this season. And uh, what better opportunity do they have to make that first statement in conference play than by knocking off a, a top 10, top five Texas Longhorns team? Yeah, the Big 12 didn't do the Longhorns any favors on their way out, right? Like Oklahoma's schedule is a cakewalk this year. That's why people think the Sooners can have a really, really good year in 2023, despite what happened with them in 2022. But yeah, the Big 12 schedule makers not helping Texas out a whole hell of a lot. And you're right, that game in Waco will not be easy. Uh, Texas has beaten Baylor a couple of years in a row, but Baylor has played Texas very, very close in both of those games. And you mentioned uh, anytime the Longhorns go to Waco, it is a big deal regardless of sport. They get Chip, they get JoJo, they get Koresh, they get everybody out there ready to welcome the Longhorn caravan. So that's going to be a tough one. And then, you know, you've got Kansas right after that, and then Oklahoma. Uh, Kansas obviously isn't a cakewalk anymore. I know what Texas did in Lawrence last year, uh, but I don't have to tell any Longhorn fan about the potential problems with playing KU. And they've got the Big 12 preseason conference player of the year at quarterback, so they're not a pushover. Then obviously the Oklahoma game in Dallas, biggest conference game of the season. So, boom, just like that. Yeah, two of the first three, two of your three non-con games are relatively easy. But as soon as you get into Big 12 play, you've got uh, some tough teams, some tough matchups before you get that bye week on October 14th. So, you're right. I mean, if Texas does find a way to win that game at Alabama – they got to make sure that they stay engaged because if they let their foot off the gas, might not hurt them against uh, the Cowboys from Wyoming, but it probably is going to hurt them at the start of Big 12 play. And that's, I don't, I don't want to sit here and say the Alabama game is not important. Of course it's important. That'd be a massive win. That'd be a signature win for Steve Sharkeesian. And obviously that would be kind of a message to the college football world that, hey, we are ready to make the move to the SEC. But let's be honest, right? The goal, at least my number one goal is, for this Texas team this year is to win the Big 12. Yeah. So, like, I'm not going to complain if somehow, some way, Texas wins the Big 12 and also makes it to the college football playoff. And obviously, you beat Alabama in their house. You got a better chance of making that happen. But the goal is to win the Big 12 on the way out. You got to make sure that regardless of what happens in Tuscaloosa and really regardless of what happens in the non-con slate as a whole, that you're ready to go by conference play because you cannot take a couple of losses in the first three games and just not have that insurance card in your back pocket to make sure that you can afford another slip up down the stretch you got to get off to a good start in conference play to make sure that you're in great position to make it to jerry world in december perhaps i'm making a false assumption here bk but i would assume that texas fans would rather have a big 12 let's say regular season championship than a win in tuscaloosa over alabama this year is that a safe assumption to make hmm for me personally, yes, I would rather have a Big 12 title than a win at Alabama. Uh, there might be some gray area there, right? Like uh, some Longhorn fans would be like, well, what if we win in Tuscaloosa and make it to the Big 12 title game, but not win the Big 12 title? Maybe there are some people who would pick that. But for me, nah, give me the uh, give me the conference championship on the way out. Hopefully the game in Alabama will be competitive too. So are you still feel good about uh, Texas making the move over to the SEC? But no, my, my bigger goal this season is to win the conference, not to beat Alabama. You people watching on YouTube right now on the Texas Sports Unfiltered YouTube channel, I want to hear from you. What would you rather have 
this year, the final season for Texas in the Big 12, a win over Alabama or a loss to Alabama in a regular season Big 12 crown, which of course ensures that you will be playing in that conference championship game the following week. Mm. Regular season Big 12 crown. Do they do they give those out? Do you get anything for having the best record in the league during the regular year? A guaranteed spot in the conference championship game. Ah, shoot. No, I, I want the conference championship game win more than I want the first place finish in the Big 12's regular season. Okay, so would you rather have a first place finish in the Big 12 regular season or a win over Alabama and Tuscaloosa? Win over Alabama and Tuscaloosa with a second place finish in the Big 12 with a Big 12 championship. See, I want my cake and I want to eat it too. Because why the hell would I not? What's the point of having cake if you can't eat it? Just sitting there on the table across from you. I want the cake and I want to be able to eat it. So I want both of those things. I've never understood that saying, have your cake. So you have the cake right there and eat it too. What are you going to do if you have the cake right there and you're not eating it also? You're just going to let it sit there? You're going to let it get stale? Of course you're going to eat it also. Yeah, who's going to eat it if you're not eating it? That's boring. You cut the cake, you just leave it on the table, and then someone else comes in and snags it from you? Homeless guy shooting up K2, walks into your place and uh, snags that piece of cake that was yours? In the Elling household, I can guarantee you that uh, two little monkeys will be eating it uh, by the name of Calvin and Vivian. Yeah. I just let it sit there on the table. So <laughs> they will get curious and eventually eat it with their hands. <laughs> oh, well, hold on. I might be doing that too. And then I'll just blame one of your kids. I'll just break <laughs> into your house and eat that piece of cake and then walk out and say that it was one of them who did it. It's it's one of the things that kids are really good for. You can blame uh, you can blame farts and eating cake on them, you know? I like that. Yeah, a lot of comments coming in. It feels pretty unanimous to this point, Trey. People want the uh, the Big 12 title. I don't think they care for the regular season bit that you talked about. They just want the uh, conference championship trophy with a win in Arlington. Oh, Super Chat from Sports Fan. I forgot we've got the ability to do Super Chats now. If you want to guarantee that your comment gets read and placed on screen, during any of our shows, hit us with the Super Chat. We greatly appreciate the support of what we are doing here, and that shows that you are a fan of what we have going on. And speaking of fan, thanks to the very generically named sports fan. Uh, <laughs> seems legit on this one. If I give money, can we have both? Yeah, yeah, that's fine, sports fan. We'll take both. We'll take uh, a win against Alabama and then a Big 12 Conference Championship too. Sign me up for that. I like sports fans picture. It's Elmo standing <laughs> behind a, a blazing fire or maybe Elmo in hell. Yeah. Is. Are they trying to send Elmo to hell? Uh, are they saying watching Sesame street is hell? It's not all hell, but the Elmo part of things is hell. I still remember that from a couple years ago. Thankfully my kids have outgrown that one. Now we're moved on to Barbie dream house, which unfortunately is not much better. Oh, they went and saw Margot Robbie and uh, Oppenheimer. Or no, she was in Barbie. They went and saw Margot Robbie and Barbie in the theater. Yeah, you're not going to go see either of those movies in the theater, correct? No, I don't do movies in theaters. What was the last movie you saw in a theater? Uh, it was with you. We had early access to see Uncut Gems because you and I had interviewed the directors the of Saturday that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went to Alamo Drafthouse. They had like a private showing uh, and a Q&A a couple of days before that movie was released. So that was that- like five years ago. 
Yeah, that was BC before COVID. It's been that long since <laughs> I have seen a movie in a theater. And then if you want to talk about me actually going to a real movie in a real theater that wasn't an early access, early premiere kind of thing, you got to go all the way back to shit. Maybe when I was in high school. Probably all Adam Sandler movies, right? <laughs> I mean, most of my favorite Adam Sandler movies came out in the 90s when I was like a kid kid. That's true. So I'd say, I think uh, Avengers, one of the Avengers, maybe the first one that came out was the last movie I saw in theaters, and I slept through the entire thing. I have not seen any of the superhero movies, and I have no plans to do so either. As much as that may enrage the uh, some people, the Adam Wagners of the world, who's obviously a huge superhero movie fan, like it's, I've got better ways to spend two to three hours, you know? Yeah, I don't have any beef with the superhero movies. My, my big problem and why I don't go to movie theaters, well, there are two of them. Number one, I just, I don't want to pay for something that I can get for free in like two weeks. And number two, the dude, it's too dark in there and the seats are too damn comfortable in there. Like I, I'm basically paying for a nap and I could get a nap at home for free if I wanted to. That's the problem. I fall asleep in those chairs every time I hit the theater. Yeah, I've I've come close with a few of the uh, the kiddie movies that I've had to to sit through recently going to take my kids or going as a family to go watch something like Elemental or I mean, name of like even the Mario Brothers movie. I thought that film had a ton of potential just because it connects to so many different generations like they leaned way too heavily on the visual effects which were cool mind you but i feel like they figured out the script writing formula for those sorts of films to to uh be able to connect to kids and adults alike and they just got lazy there like they leaned way too heavily on the incredible cgi that that now exists for uh animated films yeah i did see that mario movie actually with my sister and i kind of felt the same way like too much CGI, not enough plot, not enough movie, and I don't know why I cared that much. It was Super Mario Bros. I should have known going in that I probably wasn't going to like it that much. Well, it's like we get it. Mario's Italian. You can have him stop saying Mamma Mia at some point. Mm. Like They leaned on that line, I want to say, four or five times throughout the film. The highlight of that film, in my opinion, though, was the, uh, the melancholy star, the star who was uh, bemoaning its own existence. Yeah. And obsessed with death. It's <laughs> like that star was weird. I'm like, dude, that star was awesome. That star is the one reason why I would consider watching that movie again. Yeah, no surprise that that uh, was your favorite part of the movie. Uh, slightly depressed slash melancholy character. That was the thing that stood out most to you. Not Mario or Luigi or Donkey Kong or Peach, just some random star who was uh, being depressed throughout most of the movie. Fuck Donkey Kong. There, I saw it. <laughs> no way, dude. I'm a big DK fan. That's my character in Super Smash Bros. You don't you don't want any part of that. Oh, Donkey Kong is good in Super Smash Bros. I will agree with you on that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, there's a tangent. That's what we do. If you follow Trey and I for the last few years, you know uh, sometimes that happens. And hey, we're unfiltered, so we can drop the occasional F-bomb or S-bomb from time to time. There was somebody earlier who commented saying they have their whole family in the car while they're tuned in. Uh, apologies to you. That was an interesting business decision you made by uh, by giving us a chance. But we are grateful that you gave us a chance. Uncle Trey and Uncle BK need their mouths washed out with soap, kids. Yes, yes, we do. Okay, Trey. Um, oh, man. Bucky and I talked about this this morning. Before we talk about this, we do need to give some love to some sponsors, but we will get into the craziness surrounding the blind side 
And everything that we seem to think that we knew about that movie is uh, potentially a lie. And it is a bombshell story that we have to talk about. But before we do that, I will give you the floor to tell our great listeners about the greatness of audio-visual consultations. That is right. Audio-visual consultations, hooking homes and businesses up with incredible video and audio needs. Over the course of 35 years now, BK, you and I are customers multiple times over of the excellent service provided by Tom McCann Audio-Visual Consultations. I have that dream home theater set up in my downstairs living room. Also added a video game nook a couple years ago that gets used as much as the downstairs television uh, by the family at this point. You have uh, had audio-visual consultations come over to numerous places, put that four TV set up in your living room or bedroom, maybe some, some combination of the two. And of course, you will be doing so once again here coming up pretty soon when you move back to Austin this weekend. We cannot say enough good things about audiovisual consultations. The proof is in the pudding in terms of the homes that you go into and the businesses you go into as well. Anytime you've been into a Pluckers and you've marveled at that TV setup, that is always audiovisual consultations making that happen. They'd love to do something similar for you as well. Go to avconsultations.com to see all the different services they can provide for you. Once you decide on that service, give them a call, 512-255-8678 for audiovisual consultations. Yep, that'll be one of the very first calls I make once I make my way back up to Austin. Looking forward to that. Also looking forward to continuing to enjoy the greatness of Altstadt beer. Yeah, they have it all throughout Houston. So if you're living in Houston, you can find Altstadt wherever you buy your beer down here. But all over Central Texas, you can find Altstadt. It's brewed in Fredericksburg. And it's available at HEB, Specs, Twin Liquors, Total Wine, Randall's. Wherever you go to buy your six-packs, you can find six-packs of Altstadt beer. They've got a number of different brews, something for every beer drinker out there, including the seasonal Peach Rattler. That's only available for a limited time. Super easy to drink. Incredibly refreshing. It's made with real juice from real Fredericksburg peaches. That's right. They combined their world-famous Altstadt lager with some real peach juice from those Fredericksburg peaches, and you get something that is so incredibly tasty and so incredibly easy to drink. Check out the Altstadt Peach Rattler wherever you go and get your beer. Altstadt beer is the official beer of Texas Sports Unfiltered. It should be the official beer of you as well. It's Altstadt beer. No impurities, no regrets. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, Trey. Mm. An unfortunate story that we have to talk about. We've got a lawsuit that has been filed in Tennessee and it has to do with former NFL offensive tackle Michael Orr, who is best known for being portrayed in the incredibly popular 2009 movie called The Blind Side. Michael Orr filed a 14-page petition in Shelby County, Tennessee, alleging that Sean and Leanne Tui, who took Orr into their home as a high school student, never actually adopted him. Instead, According to the allegations, less than three months after Orr turned 18 back in 2004, 
The petition says the couple tricked him into signing a document making them his conservators, which gave them legal authority to make business deals in his name. The petition further alleges that the two has used their power to strike a deal that paid them and their two birth children millions of dollars in royalties from that movie that earned more than $300 million, while Orr alleges, uh, alleges that he got nothing from the movie at all. And Orr also says the Tuies have continued to call Orr their adopted son, which has helped their foundation, which has also helped Leanne's author career too. He's basically saying that everything that the movie portrayed is a total lie, and the Tui family never actually adopted Michael Orr. They basically just pretended to adopt him so they could make a crap ton of money on this story. And sure as hell, they have made a crap ton of money on this story, Trey. Well, we do now know at least uh, part of the Tui side of things because Sean Tui, who Tim McGraw played in the Blind Side film, uh, did respond to the allegations in the Daily Memphian, Memphis newspaper. Yeah, uh, he called the claims devastated and said the family would agree to end the conservatorship per Michael's request. Quote, we're devastated. Tui said, hours after Orr's petition went public, it's upsetting to think that we would make money off any of our children, but we're going to love Michael at 37, just like we loved him at 16. The 63-year-old restaurateur said that the conservatorship was required for Orr to enroll uh, at Ole Miss in 2005. Tui family adopted Orr after spending uh, after he spent years as a homeless child, and uh, he Sean goes on to say, "quote Michael was obviously living with us for a long time, and the NCAA didn't like that. They said the only way Michael could go to Ole Miss was if he was actually a part of the family." I sat Michael down and told him, "If you're planning to go to Ole Miss or even considering Ole Miss, we think you have to be part of the family. This would do that legally." We contacted lawyers who told us that we couldn't adopt over the age of 18. The only thing we could do was to have a conservatorship. We were so concerned it was on the up and up that we made sure the biological mother came to court. Wow. So, so is he saying they actually did adopt and then did the conservatorship? Or is he saying that they didn't adopt because they couldn't and they had to do the conservatorship? The, the second part there. So he lived with them from the age of 16 all the way until he graduated high school and went off to Ole Miss. And because there were some questions uh, about the legality of it all and um, his ability to get into Ole Miss, let's see. The NCAA was basically calling into question uh, whether he would be eligible for college football. Here we go. NCAA, once again, just making idiotic rulings. Th this kid was homeless on the streets. This family brings him in, and they say, well, you, you may not be uh, allowed to play college football because you've been living with this family who's been providing you benefits. And uh, the uh, the family, of course, I believe, weren't they – uh, they were supporters of Ole Miss at the time as well. So I think that's where the the issue maybe came into play. And so they said, look, we can't adopt him. He's over 18 at this point, but we can do this conservatorship. And that essentially works the same way that an adoption would have worked to allow him to remain eligible for college football once he decides to go to Ole Miss. Mm. Well, Sandra Bullock's a piece of shit, regardless of how you describe this story oh. to me, Trey. I mean, that's that's messed up that she could do something like this for her own personal gain. 
Yeah, boy, that's a that's a hot take there, BK. I think we should uh, cut that up and put it on uh, social media here. You calling Sandra Bullock a piece of shit? She just lost her her partner or husband of many years, and now she's getting put on blast by you for playing a character in a movie. No, it was a documentary. All right, she might try to act like it was a movie so she doesn't get in trouble from this, but this was a true story. It was a documentary. Sandra Bullock, Tim McGraw got together, adopted this kid, and didn't pay him a dime on this movie that they made $300-plus million off of. So Sean Tui did also address the royalties received from the film, which did gross over $300 million at the box office on a uh, $30 million budget. He said that the royalties actually came from author Michael Lewis. The movie was uh, based on his novel of the same name. Tui said that each member of the family received $14,000, including Michael, Mother Leanne, daughter Collins, and son Sean Tui Jr. He admitted that the family did not require the royalties based on Sean's restaurant dealings, which made him tens of millions of dollars. And so the Mm -hmm. son, SJ Jr., appeared on Barstool's Pardon My Take yesterday. He attested to understanding Michael Orr's position in receiving money for his life story, but disagreed with the public legal battle that will ensue. Quote, I get it. Why he's mad, I completely understand. It stinks that it'll play out on a very public stage, uh, he added, of the high-profile story. Wow. There's a long ways to go into completely unraveling uh, what actually happened here. It's a shame that that Michael feels like he has been manipulated by this family, but the family ascertains that they had already made really good money up to this point, and they were basically trying to help him out with the conservatorship because they couldn't adopt him at the age of 18. And so now it is starting to become a a bit of a, he said, she said situation here. And unfortunately it's probably going to go a whole lot uglier before anything is ever resolved. Well, it sounds like Tim McGraw basically said that Michael Orr is right. Right. Like he said, he didn't adopt him. It was just the conservatorship. He explains why they had to do that, but isn't that what Michael Orr is suing? Now, I guess I guess part of the lawsuit is him also saying that the family made a ton of money and the family has come out and said that, no, they barely made any money off of it. So I guess that's probably their defense in this whole deal. And they've got to find a way to prove. Well, I guess or actually, since he's suing, has to find a way to prove that the Tui family did make hundreds of thousands, millions, whatever of dollars on the blind side and the story in general. Yeah, and apparently, you know, I mean, Michael War is obviously saying that uh, Sandra Bullock's, uh, her auth- author career and a, a nonprofit that they set up as well is based on Michael's likeness. And uh, he says that that's not fair and that they, they have benefited financially. So, look, he's making accusations that are going to require some sort of tax documentation. So we will find the truth out at some point. But in the meantime... Uh, both sides are uh, both sides are having to gear up for a, a big legal battle, and when you do something like that, uh, not to repeat myself, but I'm going to repeat myself here. It gets a whole lot uglier before it gets good. God, how stupid! If the Tui family is right and they actually only made fourteen thousand dollars each from this story, how stupid are they? Like, that's that's absurd. Like, I I, I wish Michael Orr got paid. I wish everyone got paid a ton of money. It feels like the whole family and Michael should have gotten paid a ton of money for their role in this story. But if they really signed this amazing, basically made for movie script over to somebody for nothing, my God, 
and the well, book too. Like they should have gotten a ton from both of those. It's not for nothing because Michael Lewis is the one who made probably the biggest chunk of change from anybody involved in this project. But yeah, that is curious because they used their name, image, and likenesses in the film. So if they only got $14,000 each and didn't get a cut of the gross revenue, then somebody created a bad deal for them. Because mm. It should have been a whole lot more than that, considering that the movie made more than $300 million at the box office. Who played Michael Lewis in the movie? Zach Efron? Jason Aldean? I mean, who do I blame for his role here? We're blaming Sandra. We're blaming Tim McGraw. Who else deserves to be blamed for what went down here? So embarrassing admission time. I've never seen that movie before. Is Zach Efron in the film? No, I don't think so. You've never seen that movie? No. What? Did you read the book? No. Oh, my God. So you have no idea what we're talking about here. You know what, BK? My bullshit detector was going off when I first heard about the book and then also <laughs> heard about the movie. I said, you know what? Something's not right here, and it's eventually going to cause a problem between these people who are the primary subjects of the film and book. So I want nothing to do with it. Wow. Good for you. Right side of history, Trey Elling. I never thought that would be a thing. And uh, our guy Jason says, yeah, the movie was an A&E biography special. So you can find it. Uh, you can find it there because it is very much a true story. Ooh, bring back the midday movie review CB is clamoring for. We may have to do that at some point once we get back into the offseason. We're gearing up for football right now, so we do not have the time. But that's a good idea. And we may be even be able to uh, to play movie clips Ooh. when we do it this next time around, considering the YouTube stream. We might be able to, or we might get popped with copyright, and then Michael Orr is going to come after us. Okay, now now I'm all over the place here. Hey, let's before we get back to some uh, Longhorn football conversation and an anonymous Big Twelve coach basically trying to bench Quinn Ewers. Uh, I got to tell the people about some of our great sponsors, including Seven Eleven. I'm moving to South Austin. I think. My God, I was telling you before the video started, we're having some issues with the apartment complex I'm trying to move into, but hopefully I'm moving to South Austin. I do know I'm moving to Austin soon, and uh, I'm going to go see our guy Ashish over there at the Monterey Oaks location in South Austin. If you're already in South Austin, go say what's up to Ashish. Get your Slurpee, get your Big Gulp, get those nachos, get the pizza, get the hot dogs. All of your 7-Eleven favorites are there in that location. Of course, they're all over the place. If you don't live in South Austin, just go to 7-Eleven because they are your go-to convenience store to get you through these red hot summer months. But uh, if you are in South Austin, say what's up to our guy, Ashish. He is going to take care of you. Thanks to 7-Eleven for jumping on board with us here at Texas Sports Unfiltered. And also many thanks to SendTextTickets.com. If you need tickets to any sporting event this year, hey, we've been talking a lot about Texas, Alabama. If you want tickets to that game, go to SendTextTickets.com. You can get 100% guaranteed tickets to every sporting event throughout the year right there on site. You don't have to leave your house. You don't have to go to the box office. You can find them all online at SendTextTickets.com. Plus, concert tickets, Broadway shows, and Austin City Limit Music Festival, too. And F1 tickets. I'm telling you, they've got it all right there online at SendTextTickets.com. Okay, Trey, I believe you have the details of some Big 12 coach trying to create a problem within the locker room at the University of Texas. Hold on. Give me a second here, BK. I'm lost in a sea of tabs, so I've got to find it. 
find it once again. My apologies. I've got to get a better handle on this one here. All right, here we go. Nope, that's not it either. All right, let me read another read for another sponsor. Yes. While you figure this thing out. Woods Comfort Systems. If you're uncomfortable in your home, if the AC isn't working the way that it should be, you got to call our friends at Woods Comfort Systems. They've been in business for 60 years, and they provide the best HVAC and plumbing services that you can find all throughout Central Texas. That's right. It's not just HVAC. They've got plumbing services as well, and they can make sure that you and your family are comfortable in your home 24-7-365. AC maintenance, repair, installation, ductwork, attic insulation. They've got those plumbing services too, as I mentioned. Just give them a call, 512-842-5066, or check them out online at woodscomfortsystems.com. Woods Comfort Systems, where comfort is our middle name. Hopefully you've been able to find it by now, Trey. All right, thank you for stalling. I'm sorry, I've got to get a handle. I've got like 300 tabs open right now. It is not good for business. It's caused me problems both weeks. I promise this will be the last time we have an issue with the tabs thing, BK. But yes, Quinn Ewers was part of the topic of discussion for an ESPN Plus article that just came out where coaches are weighing in on the top 2023 college football quarterbacks. As you can imagine, uh, there are certain names at the top of that list, specifically Caleb Williams, Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr., all with the Pac-12. And they go, they break it down by conference, BK, and they talk about uh, a number of different quarterbacks in the Big 12. Pretty much uh, all of the starters, well, about half the starters in the Big 12. And that does, of course, include when yours and I always love these sorts of stories BK where you get coaches speaking anonymously about things on the one hand it's a little bit cowardly not to put your name to your opinion on the other hand we're not going to get these opinions otherwise so you have to take what you can get sometimes but mm-hmm. what anonymous coaches have to say about Quinn yours it starts with Ewers being the big 12 quarterback who generates the most intrigue entering this upcoming season If the former ESPN number one overall recruit finds a steady rhythm, Texas should finally win a league title and Ewers could climb even higher on NFL draft boards. Ewers needs to become more reliable after completing just 58% of his pass attempts last season. He only has, he only had two touchdowns in his final four games. Ewers has earned praise throughout the offseason with one Texas source telling ESPN, quote, he looks and acts like a different person. I think we can all agree with that based on what we've seen and heard as well. But ESPN asks, can he put it all together? And here is where we get to the first Big 12 coach, a Big 12 defensive coordinator. Quote, you can see the talent, and I hear that he's changed. I don't think he's where those other three, Daniels, Howard, and Gabriel, are yet. Could he be? Yes. He's got talent and he's got a hose, but you'd have to project that one. Mm. Another Big 12 defensive coordinator. Damn, man. It's really hard to not be successful when you've got all those weapons around you. Last year, they were really solid at running back, so you don't put a lot of pressure on your quarterback. They're going to be finding their way a little bit. I know he's going to get a lot of hype and all that, but I don't think he's as good as the other Big 12 quarterbacks. This Big 12 DC continued. I would watch for the other kid, Manning, to unseat him at some point. Whoa. There's the big statement there. I would expect Manning to unseat him 
at some point. Okay. Well, I hope that doesn't happen. Let me ask you, Trey, why do you think this coach slash coordinator feels this way? Is it Quinn Ewers isn't good enough? Is it Arch Manning is that good? Is it big money donors slash boosters at Texas are quick on the trigger and they basically force Sark to pull the trigger on Quinn Ewers at some point in the season? What what do you think led this coach, even though he was anonymous, to saying what he said? I think that this coach watched Quinn Ewer struggle mightily in the second half of last season. And not just was he struggling physically, but this coach probably watched Quinn Ewer's body language, which was not good and did not look like that of the leader of a successful football team. And so based on that, I completely understand where that opinion is coming from. But I also know that these Texas coaches – and Arch Manning, by the way, are not necessarily looking to force him into action his true freshman season. If it plays out where he he turns out to be the uh, the best option at backup quarterback and when yours either struggles over the course of a couple of games or goes down to injury, then maybe you see something there. But the plan all along has been to allow Arch Manning to sit and learn for at least one year before taking over those starting quarterback reigns. And nothing is guaranteed heading into the 2024 season too. So, uh, you know, I think this DC is projecting based on what he saw last year. Again, that's understandable. But you also look at the changes that Quinn Ewers has made and a seemingly increased dedication to not just improving as an individual, but being a, an important team leader on a squad that is looking to accomplish big things this year, it would completely shock me if Quinn Ewers is supplanted by Arch Manning at quarterback at some point in 2023. Trey, it would be a disaster if Arch Manning starts a game for Texas sure. this year. It would be a disaster, right? Because that means Quinn Ewers either gets hurt again or underperforms to the point where he has to get benched. And as of now, I know Arch Manning performed better in the scrimmage on Saturday, but as of now, I would think that Malik Murphy is the backup for Texas. And Arch Manning getting to play would mean, well, Malik Murphy is also not very good, or he also gets hurt. Like I, I Look, Arch Manning might be ready. He didn't look ready in the spring, but he's having a very good fall camp, and by all accounts, he got a lot better over the course of the summer, which makes sense considering the transition he was trying to make from private high school in Louisiana to college football at the university of Texas. But still this guy cannot be a big factor for this Texas team this year. I hope he plays some, right? I hope Texas is up 40, 50 points in the fourth quarter against rice in a couple of weeks. And we get to see Arch Manning. I hope Texas is up, you know, 40 points against Wyoming in week three. And we get to see some Arch Manning. And because of the four game red shirt rule, like obviously he can play a little bit and still keep his red shirt, but yeah, it would be a disaster if he is to start a game and play significant minutes for this team this year. That would mean that something went horribly, horribly wrong with Quinn Ewers. And that would probably also mean that something went wrong with Malik Murphy as well. And if those things happen, you can kiss Arlington goodbye. There's going to be no Big 12 championship in this team's future. So one of these DCs said that he's behind who he considers to be the top three quarterbacks in the conference. Jalen Daniels for Kansas, of course, Will Howard and Dylan Gabriel. I think you and I talked about this a little bit last week, but just to rehash that conversation, where would you slot Quinn Ewers either amongst those three guys or maybe after then, if there's anybody else that you would put 
in front of Quinn Ewers in terms of ranking Big 12 quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, I think the ceiling for Ewers is the highest, Trey. I really do. I think it's higher than any of those guys. And that might be Captain Obvious just based on how highly touted of a recruit Quinn Ewers was. But even last year when he was on, he was better at his best than I think those other three quarterbacks that are mentioned there. Um, I'd probably put Jalen Daniels ahead of Ewers right now. But, man, I mean, that that could change very quickly. I wouldn't put Ewers below two. I know Dylan Gabriel has accomplished more in his college career than Ewers has, but uh, I would take Ewers going into this season over Dylan Gabriel. I know Will Howard had a really, really strong latter half to last season and helped lead K-State to a Big 12 championship, but I still have some doubts about him, and I wonder what that offense and what he's going to look like without Deuce Vaughn up there in Manhattan. So I'd, I'd go Ewers at two right now with a very, very good chance that by the end of week two, I've got Ewers as the best quarterback in this conference. Yeah, I have him at three right now after Jalen Daniels, of course, and then also Will Howard. And it's interesting to see what these coaches are saying about the two quarterbacks from the state of Kansas. People uh, are very high on Daniels, understandably, because he has completely changed uh, people's perception of what Kansas football is. The only questions with him is because of his style of play, you worry that he is going to get hurt at some point in the year. And obviously the proof is in the pudding of 2022 where he missed a big chunk of the season with an injury. Will Howard is the X factor for me this year in the conference. I think Kansas state right now has a pretty solid argument as the first or second best team in this conference, even losing some of the key players that they did last season, including Deuce Vaughn, of course, but uh, Will Howard and his development as a passer and also his underrated athletic ability uh, means that the sky is the limit for this Kansas State football team to go along with Chris Kleiman being one of the best coaches in the Big 12, too. But uh, the anonymous Big 12 coaches, uh, what they had to say about Will Howard from one Big 12 coach, he's really underrated. He's big and powerful and runs better than people think and can really throw it, too. Um uh, an assistant from a team that faced Kansas State without Howard noted, I don't think we beat them if he's playing. And uh, you and I felt that way about Texas playing Kansas State last year. We lucked out with Adrian Martinez starting that game. If Will yeah. Howard had been the guy, I think Texas probably would have lost that one in Manhattan. But, hey, that's revisionist history there. We can hypothesize about it all we want to. Texas will get a chance to beat Will Howard this year with that game being in Austin. Yeah, I'm going to hypothesize that that was Pete Kwiatkowski who uh, said that if if he's smart, and I know he is, he would have said that because, yeah, Texas dodged a serious, serious bullet getting Adrian Martinez instead of Will Howard in that game. And we'll see. Texas has actually beat K-State six years in a row, yeah. right? For a while, that was the purple kryptonite for the Longhorns. They just couldn't find a way to beat K-State, especially in the Little Apple. That hasn't been an issue lately. TCU has kind of taken over as the purple kryptonite for Texas. But I'm with you, man. K-State. Look, they were picked to finish second in this league, so it's not a crazy hot take. But they, to me, are the biggest threat to Texas. I think they might have the best coach in the conference, honestly, with Chris Kleiman. Like, I know what Gundy's done over a long period of time in Stillwater. I know there are some other very, very good coaches in this league. Gus Malzahn led a team to a national championship once. But, uh, yeah, with, uh, with what Chris Kleiman did, at North Dakota State, and more importantly, just the success that he's been able to have at K-State. He's got that program very, very steady. And the over for K-State wins last year was maybe the easiest bet for me in all of college football. I'll probably do that again because they always feel like – I always feel like they're getting disrespected and they always seem to overachieve. And I'm a KU fan saying that, all right? Like, I hate praising K-State. I just feel like they've got a lot rolling for them 
in Manhattan right now. And I'm kind of looking forward to not having to play them uh, beyond this year, honestly, because because they're pretty good. Uh, OK, anonymous. Well, big if we, if we end up winning that game handily in Austin this year, do we need the uh, the students to start chanting? We own K-State. We own K-State. As payback for them, for what yeah. they used to say to it's us. Ironic chant for all the years we had to hear that crap. Yeah, you think we'll get some SEC chants at DKR this year? Like if uh, if we're beating teams on our way out, and it's the last time we're going to see them for the foreseeable future, do you think uh, some folks will hit them with the SEC chants? Because I do. I hope not. I think that would be an embarrassing look for us with how much we mocked the Aggies for so quickly going to the uh, going the SEC chant route. We don't need to do that. We can be proud members of this conference without that idiotic chance. There, I said it. Mm. It's going to happen. Just brace yourself. Just brace yourself. It won't be everybody at DKR chanting it, but it will be some people at DKR chanting it. I'm already having to brace myself for all the lights going orange at some point during a night game this year. Did you, you see don't like video? that? Did you see oh. the video that came out? I think CDC put it out. Yeah, it was sick. Okay. We got to get into this later. It's a bigger conversation I think we need to have. <laughs> we'll plan on it for tomorrow then. No surprise that you. Back to wrong side of history, Trey. We saw right side of history, Trey, <laughs> make a rare appearance earlier in today's show. But terrible take, Trey, slash wrong side of history, Elling is back in his rightful place where he belongs. Look, I realize why everybody's going to go going to go apeshit for it, but it's just, it's copycat stuff at this point. I don't need the lights to go orange to know that I'm sitting there watching a Texas football game. Yeah, it looks cool, man. And it's for the recruits. Yeah, it also oh, looks cool, cool and everybody's, recruits. it also looks cool and everybody's holding up their phone flashlight at the end of the third quarter, whatever that is. I don't want to see that crap either. Uh, you're gonna Slow see down, you punks. oh man old guy yelling at the clouds again trey is back my god hey speaking of back before we bring back where we at in society today you're back in austin and you're back in your relax the back chair oh that's right you can kind of see it right there that relax the back chair that was one by my brother at a mullet open a couple years ago i paid him a couple hundred bucks for it Best $200 investment of my seated life. That's because this chair is so, so comfortable. And that's no surprise because it became it came from Relax the Back, a place that I feel like I should have an ownership stake in with how much money I've spent there over the years, BK. This chair, I've also got so many massage tools in the living room and uh, plenty of other things. I feel like I've bought hip pillows there in the past. Considered buying a recliner or a mattress because Relax the Back does it all. They'd be happy to help your broken body out too. I am so uncomfortable, dude. I moved studios because the Wi-Fi where I was last week just wasn't getting it done. So we tried a different room in the house I'm at for this week. I'm sitting in a lawn chair. Oh, God, those things are the worst. Dude, and everything hurts. My back hurts, like my upper legs hurt because they're just against this like hard railing on the front of the seat on this thing. It's miserable. So I, I will be going to relax the back shortly after I move back to Austin to, uh, to get one of those chairs like you have. I need it. And one more shout-out to Top Gun Lawn and Equipment Rentals. Our buddy Brandon Mars over there. 
runs a great show, man. If you need to get something done at home, at work, wherever, you've got to go to Top Gun Lawn and Equipment Rentals so you can rent all of the tools that you need. They have all of the biggest brands for rent and for buy. They've got you covered. They've been Austin's number one retail dealer for all rentals and buying supplies since 1996. They've got two Austin area locations, one up north in Anderson Square, one down south on South First Street. Check them out online for more information. It's topgun.net. Top Gun will shoot you straight. All right, Trey, as we do every day, it is time to wrap up today's program with a little. Where are we at in society today? That is right. It is your daily reminder that we as a society are screwing up really, really badly, BK. Very occasionally, it will provide you with a story that gives us all a sense of optimism, that has us all saying, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out. Perhaps all is not lost. But sadly, today is not that day. And we start with a guy who was pronounced dead, even though he was very much alive. Did you see the story yesterday that started floating around Twitter that proclaimed Sony Michelle had died suddenly yesterday? I did not see that. Yeah, well, it was all over Twitter yesterday that former Georgia Bulldog, Sony Michelle, who recently retired from the NFL, had died in a motorcycle accident in Florida. The original post was later deleted after it had been shared thousands of times, which required Michelle to take to Twitter himself with two simple words, fake news. Wow. Sony Michelle got got. Dang. Unfortunately, there was a tragedy involving a motorcycle accident and a former NFL running back who lost his life. It was not Sony Michelle. It was Alex Collins, the former Arkansas running back who uh, did die in a motorcycle accident in Florida. So somebody just got the wrong running back, which I guess is fortunate for Sony Michelle's family and uh, unfortunate for Alex Collins and his family and friends. Collins uh, did die over the weekend. And unfortunately, he ran into a suburban that was turning left. Uh, that was and, and uh, Alex Collins was uh, was oncoming in his motorcycle and ends up running into the suburban. And uh, the the details get pretty grisly from there. So I'm not going to share any further. Okay. But Sony Michelle is still alive. For those who saw that news yesterday and just assumed that was the case. Wow. So at one point, were there reports of both of them being dead? Like both Sony Michelle and Alex Collins each died in motorcycle accidents yesterday. That was out there for a while. I at one point I read about Alex Collins and I'm like, what are the odds that two former NFL running backs <sighs> would die in motorcycle accidents in Florida over such a short period of time? And the answer is not very good because it didn't happen. Man, well, thank God it didn't happen. Uh, obviously, tough news with Alex Collins. Great player in college. Fun to watch for a couple of years with the Ravens in the league too. And yeah, 29 years old, man. Way, way, way too young for something like that to happen. So look twice for motorcycles, man. Um, golly. And yeah, thank God. You know, I, I wish it was none of them, but thank God it wasn't two. Um, that, uh, thank God Sony Michelle is okay. And God, that was probably terrifying for him. He's just getting all of these calls and texts from family and friends like, you good? What's going on? People are probably calling 911. Like, what's the deal with, Sony Michelle, and then he's like, "No, what? You know, what the hell's going? On? I'm, I'm fine. I'm good. 
that had to be a bizarre, uh, I don't know, two hours or so for Sony Michelle yesterday. Like he's probably still fielding text messages and phone calls from people who haven't heard the news just yet. Yeah, that is insane, man. All right. Well, glad Michelle is okay. And obviously, uh, thoughts and prayers to the family of Alex Collins. Once again, that's, that's tough. Really, really tough. All right. One more story today, BK. And uh, we go out to the Bay Area for this one. We've all heard of uh, pretty uh, cruel slash awesome punishments for people who play in fantasy football leagues who not only crown a champion every year, but also force the person with the worst record to suffer some sort of public humiliation. Yes. Joe Cook of Inside Texas a couple years ago, he was last place in his fantasy league. He actually had to do five minutes of stand-up comedy at an open mic, which is a bet payoff that you and I both have to partake in based on how terrible we both were last football season. Perhaps we uh, just hit the reset button on that one. But uh, there are great punishments out there. Are there any that come to mind for you? Oh, well, I feel like I've done most of them. Yeah, well. Not through fantasy football, but through either our show together or the show I was on in Houston for a couple of years. Yeah. The Waffle House Challenge, that's one that everybody knows about, right? 24 hours in a Waffle House, you get one hour shaved off for every waffle that you eat. I had to do that. How many waffles did you eat? I got... Was it 13 waffles? Okay. I I spent 11. It was either I ate 11 and spent 13 or I ate 13 and spent 11. Either way, it was not fun and it hurt for a couple of days. How big are the waffles? Are they like as big as a dinner plate? Yep. They are plate size. And I'm an idiot. I put syrup on there. I got chocolate chip waffles. I was, uh, you know, I wanted to make it taste better. I was not really thinking of my stomach, which was. Stupid, but par for the course for me. And I also went to Waffle House for dinner the following night just to. Good God, man. Yeah. Yeah. So that one, the Greyhound bus trip, the, this is a classic fantasy football one that maybe we need to do. You, uh, you throw a dart, you're blindfolded. You throw a dart at a map of the U S and wherever it hits, you have to go to that city to watch the Super Bowl that year. Oh my gosh. It could be middle of nowhere in the States. But you've got to pay your way to go, and you've got to watch the Super Bowl there somewhere, some bar, restaurant. It doesn't matter where you are in that city. You just have to go to that city to watch the big game. So if I hit Austin, then I have caught a huge break? Yeah, I guess so. You just got to go from Cedar Park to Austin. And no, I'd make you re-throw. There's no way. There's no way. That's not a real blindfold if, uh, if you hit Austin. That's a good one. The WNBA super fan. I don't know if that's a real fantasy football one. The chest wax, the shaved head, the license plate cover that says I lost my fantasy football league. Those are a few that I've heard. Mm. Well, we have a uh, very unique fantasy football bet payoff. Maybe we can contact the Round Rock Express people to see about uh, forcing somebody who loses a bet on this channel to, uh, to partake in something very similar. But uh, there is a unique bet from the Bay Area where uh, San Francisco Giants announcer Dave Fleming uh, finished last place in his fantasy football league and as a result had to serve as a bat boy for the Giants game against the Tampa Bay Rays yesterday. And there's hilarious video from Twitter, of course, because all great things come from Twitter, of him running out and uh, delivering 
uh, baseballs to an umpire and going and collecting bats at, uh, at various points. And so this guy goes from play-by-play guy <laughs> to bat boy over the course of a game because he sucked at fantasy football this last year. Yeah, we've got a picture of Dave Fleming on screen right now. Uh, dude, this isn't a punishment. This is a reward. I like, was kind of thinking the same thing. This would be yeah. a lot of fun. Like if you win your fantasy league, you get the opportunity to be a bat boy for a day for a big league club. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, he did have to wear the uh, the full Bat Boy uniform, which is uh, it's not a great look unless you're playing in a game. You you do kind of look like a loser if you're a grown ass man dressed in a full baseball uniform. <laughs> I, I would tank like the Bears did last year, dude. I want to lose so I can get that opportunity. Oh man, so there it is. Uh, embarrassing fantasy football bet payoff that we may have to uh, swipe that idea to try and do something similar. In cahoots with the Round Rock Express if they'll have us back in the ballpark. There we go. I love it. All right, let's uh, let's bring on our next, I don't know if we can call him a guest. He's taken over for me. You're about to be co-hosting with this guy for the next hour. The great guest. Kevin Dunn. Guests? What am I doing here? I thought we were family. <laughs> You're, uh, yeah. Hey. Your family. You're staying in the guest room, though. You know, that's uh, that's how it works. Well, this is my guest room. This is my my only little area where you know I used to have a I had a bed in here for a little while, then took it out, and so now it's just pretty much your single bachelor guy's room. I love it. All right, before I leave, your thoughts on uh, on this as a potential punishment or a reward? Getting to be a bat boy for a day? Complete reward. I bat boy <laughs> for UT baseball, and I used all of my great bullshit ability. To actually get in. We're at Rice. I'm nine years old. Reynolds Shelton, Bob Dunn, Phil Miller. We go down before Reckling. It was a high school place and Rice wasn't good yet. And I went straight down and Red, who was the, the main manager, I said, hey, you guys don't have a bad boy. I'm your guy. Billy Bates, Kobe Curlin, Doug Hodo, Dennis Cook, let's go. And so I bat boyed and really took it seriously like I do. NCAA Trey or fantasy BK. I sometimes get a little too serious about stuff I shouldn't. And I got way into bad boying. And uh, at some point was ended up tipping pitches for UT when the catcher dropped too low three years later as a, uh, as a manager. No way. You're tipping pitches. Yeah. I, I, I was able to sit in the, is when UT was on the, the third base side and I could get real low, and the catcher was dropping his signs too low. So you 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 cover it, right? You cover it with your right knee. You cover it with your glove, certainly your glove if the opponents are over here. He was dropping too low. This is not Astros here. You're dropping too low. <laughs> so it really in college at that point, but even now, you throw three pitches. So I'd see one, two, or three, or even throw over. And I'm not going to give the name because that's what we do in baseball. We don't wrap people out. I don't want to cheat on my wife as a president in 1850 and all of a sudden think I got away with it and get it busted like in 150 years, you know? Um, and they, um, and so I, the guy who was assistant coach next to me, I just would say fastball, curveball, slider. And fastball, he would yell the first guy's name out, curveball, uh, his last name out. And the other pitched his nickname. That's incredible. Oh, my God. That's how right. I love UT baseball. And I've got no shame with that, by the way. 
No, nor should you. You're helping and out. By the way, I've Floyd for a long time. We only so people want to say, oh, that's why Texas was winning then. No, they're winning because they were better. That lasted for one inning. We put up six runs, and they started the other dugout new and started. And the, the guy told me, he said, hey, we got to cut this out. Uh, I'm going to try that. I'm going to call up David Pierce and see if I can be that guy for, <laughs> for this team next year. Trey, that's what BK would be. He'd be the grown-ass man, and he would wear the full suit in the full costume <laughs> uniform, and he would be trying to tip pitches. Dude, I will pay money to see BK running around on a baseball field collecting bats and balls. Oh, God. In All that right. full get-up. He's, you know, too many adults nowadays love to play dress-up in a variety of forms and fashions. Sometimes it is for a costume party. Sometimes it's just Halloween. But sometimes it is to uh, to try and play into that character. BK as a baseball bat boy. <laughs> oh man, that would be uh that would be incredible. The uh, the video and pictures alone that we would have for the rest of time would be worth the uh the cost. Did you guys in college have to go dress up with girlfriends for parties? I mean, yep. whether it's a frat party, BK, Trey, some random party, and I never would. And no. I just thought I, I I you know, one, I'd just beat cancer, so fuck y'all. Um, but but also <laughs> I, I thought all this was over with. I, I thought all this is over with at 12 or 13. And little did I know it was just really starting because any girlfriend I've had in my 30s, they want to go to some dress up party. You're lucky to get me to the party. Uh, not that they're lucky to have me there, just to get my ass out of my, my place. I'm not going to put paint on and have to take all that off for to sh for why? Why? Yeah, I, I, ne I never had to do it in college, uh, Kevin. I went to a couple of pimps and hoes parties, which is essentially an excuse for, uh, yeah. for frat boys to call one another the N-word. I, I always thought that that was ridiculous, so I never played dress up for that. Yeah. I did it one time after college. I was in Chi-Town, drink up, and dating this hipster at the time. And, of course, hipsters are all about these, uh, these random dress-up parties that aren't yeah. on October 31st. She's the reason why I have way too much David Bowie on my uh, my Apple Music app. But uh, we we did a dress up thing, and there wasn't a theme to it, so I went dressed as Larry David. But it wasn't a very good outfit, and I probably looked like modern Ben Franklin. But all the hipsters there hated Larry David. Apparently, I guess uh, Larry David is not a friend of the hipster like he is a friend of the lesbian. And so, oh, what did Larry David do? What did how did Larry David get canceled by the hipsters? I have no idea. He makes them even more uncomfortable in their own skin than they are already. But that was essentially the beginning of the end of that relationship because all of her friends turned on me after that. <laughs> oh. Dude, it, it worked out well. You hit the jackpot. I I have to lie to a lot of my friends. Oh, this is on air. Never mind. Um, about his wife. His wife is the best. Oh, she's way better than me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and I hate when I hate when guys, just because it's turned, everything's turned so upside down, that there are some buddies I have who are better than their wife, you know? And I'm thinking, you're better looking, you're more successful, you're more fun to hang out with. What are you doing? Um, Trey is all those, of course. But uh, but the outkick, the coverage thing, the Brad Pitt could be with Whoopi Goldberg and he'd be, he'd have to say, you know, I'll kick my coverage. No, you didn't. No, no, you didn't. You, you shanked <laughs> it like John Theismann, um, you know, uh, the seven yarder on Monday Night Football. You didn't Reggie Roby this with BK and I as gunners, okay? Yeah. 
I agree. I well, agree. Apparently, apparently Whoopi does have a magical vagina. That's just what I hear. Well, Ted Danson was in there. It's got to be. Right. Ted Danson was so in there. He was willing to go blackface to uh, to impress her. Uh, that is funny. All these hipsters, wokesters, whatever, who went blackface. Did you guys ever think about putting on blackface? Was that ever even an option? No. God, no. No. Even no. the less socially, even in the less socially sensitive 1990s and 2000s, right. that always was a bad idea. Right, it was a bad idea. It was insensitive then, and not even insensitive where I really thought about it and, and was this is no, I just would never do that. Even like Jimmy Kimmel dressing up like Carl Malone, as big of a shit bag as Carl Malone has proven himself to be over time. I remember watching him on the man show doing that like wow he is gonna have to answer for this at some point if he blows up anymore right now was i overly offended and forgot about it or or did i forget about it in two minutes yeah i did and i wasn't overly offended but i still at the time I remember watching that thinking eh, like why it, it doesn't make the skip that much better yeah i'm with you all right i'm leaving you guys take over i'll be listening y'all have fun <laughs> see you bk thanks bk all right, buddy. Are we First doing the time. countdown or no? Countdown, no countdown. That countdown, I've been talking to BK about that one. That countdown goes for 60 seconds in terms of uh, counting down from 60. And then you've got like another three and a half minutes of silence before you and I get to uh, pop on the air. So we're skipping the countdown right now. We're just yeah. turning this into one big lump sum. Uh, you've been on this show, uh, on this channel rather, uh, at least three or four times at this point. Uh, thankfully, there to uh, fill in for various issues that have popped up over the last week. But all along, you and I have had plans to uh, to do something regular on this channel. That starts this week. It starts right now. We're going to be doing it at least a couple of times a week. Uh, but I'm excited because as much as you and I talk, and I was mentioning this to BK last hour, you and I talk all the time. You can ask Justine about that. It's very rare that we are talking sports with one another. We have so many other nits and other things that we have to get to and right. joking around and venting our frustrations with one thing or another. We talk sports sometimes, but it's not like an every time that we're on the phone with each other. So it'll be nice to uh, to actually get to hear your thoughts on uh, what this Texas football team might be capable of in 2023. Cause I haven't heard it yet. Well, let's start off with Carbonara. Cause I, I may after this go, I'm thinking, should I go get protein? Um, I'm thinking about going to get some seafood. I'm trying to eat better. We're all trying to live like you. And I make my salad dressings on Sunday to make sure my week is good with salads, but I need to be better with dinner. Because I, because you know, I cook rich stuff and eat rich stuff. And when I say rich, I don't mean expensive. It's, but it, it definitely can fill you up. And the older I get, my, I just, I'm having problems when I ride my bike in the morning or swim. My gut just can't, it just can't take it anymore, man. Like, it can't take it every day. Embarrassing admission time, Kevin. I've yeah, kind of sure. let it, I've kind of let it go in the last, Really the last year, but uh, more specifically in the last six months. I'm up 7 to 10 pounds from where my comfortable weight is. Really? A little bit of that is muscle, but some of it is uh, me getting a little bit fat. Now, I'm using that term loosely, of course, no pun intended, yeah. because I know what it actually means to be a fat kid and a fat young adult, which I was in my early to mid-20s. I've shown my kids pictures recently from when we were working at The Zone 
uh, <laughs> early, early to mid 2000s. They're like, holy cow, dad, you were fat. Yeah, I kind of was. Now, I'm not. I don't think you were fat then, man. I was I was overweight. OK, stubby, but here's the problem. Whenever I start to put on bad weight, it all shows up in my face. I look super bloated. Now, I was probably drinking a lot at that time, too, which certainly yeah. doesn't help things. But then I uh, eventually got a grip in my late 20s, and I've maintained that all the way up to now. But I have made, just like you, I have made some very specific changes recently to hopefully help these this 5 to 10 pounds that I need to get rid of uh, to be gone by the time we get to Texas OU weekend in early October. You have to adjust. Obviously, listen to other people. So I think BK is getting there. But I, I pick your brain all the time about stuff, whether it's my hip or whether it's digestive issues because i know how much that you you're just smarter and have read more about all this and are more into it than we are so you pick other people's brains but everyone's different so whether it's quitting smoking quitting drinking eating better whatever everyone is different so you have to really know your own body whether it's mental health <clears throat> physical health and also try and pick and choose stuff and try it for your own body but it may not be the same you know, it may not be the same for you as it is for whoever you're listening to. It's weird because you get deep enough into this, you realize that certain rules that exist, both good and bad, may not necessarily apply for you. Yeah. Like, I've gotten so deep in this in the last couple of years, Kevin, that I wore a continual glucose monitor, which is typically used for type 2 diabetics to keep track of your blood sugar levels and to see if your levels are getting too high or too low and making a necessary adjustment in terms of uh, what it is that you're consuming to, uh, to help calm things down. Or uh, in some cases it's a shot that you take, but like they offer those for the general public now. So I, I wore one for three months just to see the sorts of foods that were likely causing these huge uh, spikes and drops as well as things that may have me feeling inflamed to get some sort of quantification to see if there was something there. There are foods that I never expected to be bad for me necessarily because they're advertised as either health foods or in some cases, superfoods. Like if I eat blueberries by themselves, I get a huge blood sugar spike. And I was like, what the fuck? For my entire life, I've looked at blueberries as something that regardless of whatever else I'm eating, I can at least have blueberries and uh, not feel bad about that. But clearly that's not the case. Blueberries was the thing you put in, in Amy's ice cream. I never did because if I'm going, I'm going. Yeah. But but it, it, you put it in the yogurt. You thought this was the the good part of all this. This is the real healthy part. So it's kind of funny you said that. We are going to talk Texas football. So so don't worry, we're we're getting there. I've got buddies, and we're we're the same age, mid forties. Now that if if they're coming into Austin and we're all meeting up and they're going to go drink that night and none of us drink like we used to nor should you at that age but still they're gonna have four or five cocktails right and they've got a full-time job and three kids and they're not used to doing that they'll get ivs before have you heard of this trend i've heard of it i've never done it before but it makes sense they actually have things that you can drink and i guess it works similarly to an iv that you drink before you go out or that you consume before you go out drinking and it is supposed to minimize how hungover you are the next day. That's what they've told me. That This is something that you and I went through together, as a matter of fact, a couple of years ago. Where we went out to uh, celebrate somebody's birthday, I think, from work at the time. And we went out and we didn't necessarily get 
shit-faced or anything. No. We went out and were encouraged to have these buttery nipple shots. Ooh. We had these shots, and you could just – I mean, I'm I'm getting sick to my stomach thinking about yeah. the amount of sugar in those things right now. We had three or four of those, and I maybe had a couple of beers. So did I have a decent buzz going by the time we left? Sure. But was I drunk to the point of being hung, hung over? Absolutely not. The next morning I woke up and it felt like I drank an entire keg. I was so yeah. hung over and it wasn't the alcohol. It was the sugar. Back to your point about getting. Do you remember I called you and said, I feel like, I feel like shit, Trey. You said it's the sugar. Yeah. It's the same thing with IPAs, by the way, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's the hoppiness or what, but I drink two IPAs. I may as well have had an entire bottle of wild Turkey the night before, just based, <laughs> on, based on how I feel the next day. Right. All right, let's talk Texas football. Let's give them what they want. Give the people what they want. First of all, before we get to Texas AP preseason ranking, which those did come out yesterday, and we'll certainly talk about Texas falling in at number 11. I did want to ask you about uh, an article that just came out on ESPN about uh, anonymous uh, coaches sounding off on various quarterbacks within uh, that coaches conference as they run down all the different uh, power five leagues, at least power five for one more year until the PAC 12 is officially no more. And inevitably they did talk about Quinn Ewers and interviewed a couple of different defensive coordinators from the big 12 about Quinn Ewers. And the uh, most interesting nugget amongst the Quinn Ewers comments had to do with one big 12 DC predicting that Quinn Ewers would be unseated by Arch Manning at some point this year. How much of that is uh, this guy truly believing that Quinn Ewers doesn't have what it takes versus him leaning a little bit too heavily on what Quinn Ewers looked like last year versus some of the uh, seeming adjustments and commitments that he has made to getting better as an individual player, but also a teammate this offseason. So a DC said that he thinks he's going to supplant him? That Arch Manning is going to supplant Quinn Ewers at some point this season. That is... That's why I'm doing this with y'all. I guess I'm only a guest and not part of the family. But no, You're I'm kidding. part of the family. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. But BK, you, Bucky, Wags, uh, we've never screwed each other over in a world that screws each other over. And there are a lot of people that like to go to the other county and go ahead and start a wildfire. And I'm not trying to – look, there are wildfires. God bless people in Hawaii. Obviously, my mom went through that in Bastrop, people in Texas right now. So I'm saying that with how serious it is that people will go start other crack in to make their industry or whatever they're doing with their profession because they're not secure enough with what they actually do and their talent and how they're going to achieve success, that they will do that. And it's all game in sports, man. I mean, that, that's all good in sports, I guess. But no, he's tried to start a wildfire and he knows the best thing with this Texas roster right now is have Texas be Texas. Get Texas back where Texas is, which is a lot of issues inside and the talent doesn't match or the, the win total doesn't match the talent. And I think the best thing to do right now would be, Hey, it's a, I'm, you know, I'm throwing it out there. It's a dart, but let's see if we can't get something going in there. Uh, I, I don't know why you would say that he's going to play four games and Malik Murphy seems to be the number two. And I've got, I had questions about yours last year. And I think he's, at least in the offseason, answered those. We'll see if he will in the season. But I don't think that's him being so high on Arch Manning. 
Yeah, I like that analysis there. It could be much more about him him really trying to start shit within the program. And not that this program is insulated from that. I'm sure guys have seen that and they're calling BS or uh, maybe they're having a conversation amongst themselves. But uh, I think that is a great take there, that this is somebody who knows how easily Texas gets distracted from that overall goal. BK and I talked about it last hour. Like how many times have we seen in the last 15 years since that national or 14 years, I guess, technically since that national championship game appearance in the Rose bowl in early 2010, where the Longhorns let the tiniest bit of success go to their heads. And all of a sudden they just lose inexplicably the following week. Like that is very much on the table right now, which is why it's important for these coaches to get through to these kids, whatever you see here, whatever else good or bad about you this season, just tune it out. Just like yeah. take it with a large grain of salt and understand what we're capable of accomplishing this year. I think that may be the number one challenge in front of them. You got to stay healthy. Got to go play ball for 60 minutes. Make sure you prep well. And But part of that prep is not getting too high and too low. And Quinn Ewers admitted that after the OU game, he thought this was going to be a lot easier than it actually was. And that's where we saw those super highs and then super lows for him. I uh, I think that could be the number one challenge for this team. And that really is the number one challenge for most teams out there. Yeah. Right? Block out the noise day to day. It sounds so cliche, but pitch to pitch, down to down, possession to possession in basketball, that really is how you can flush stuff out. I never had the skill to be great at baseball at a high level, but – once I got to a point where I'm seeing breaking balls and I was not the little league all-star that I'd grown up being that I didn't have the mental capacity. I couldn't flush stuff. You know me that I'll, I'll sit on stuff for too long. I could not flush stuff and they're going to have to flush stuff, not just the negative, more importantly, the positives, the wins, the 56, nothing, the, we blew this team out means nothing next week. Yeah, I mean, that is a uh, problem for a lot of people, uh, past and present, by the way, is having a short memory with things. And that goes for the good and the bad, mind you, because you can let the bad dwell and snowball and create something much worse, just like you can let a little bit of success create a complacency yeah. It also causes you to uh, lose focus on that task at hand. But I think it also speaks to a uh, larger societal problem, KD, and that is uh, we are not a, res a very resilient bunch anymore. Like we all live very, very comfortable lives at this yeah. point. I mean, we're in the middle of uh, a brutal Texas summer, but thankfully most of us, and I feel for you if you don't have this, we uh, have the option of sitting inside a uh, comfortably air-conditioned apartment or house to, uh, to avoid having to be outside too much throughout the course of a day. No, nah, you hit the nail on the head. We live in the best place in the best time in human history. There's no argument to that. None. What if I was in Croatia right now? Maybe. But in America, percentage-wise, with the recession, with the polarization of, of, of the edge of, two, of the, the two nuts on, I'm not saying the parties are nuts, but the edge with bullhorns, we live we live in a in a weird time, and there's stuff to deal with. We live in the best time ever. 
you're right. We're not as resilient. I think about the World War II generation or even my grandparents. My grandparents, Derwood and Lucille, dealt with no AC for a long time in Texas in their life. I never heard them bitch about that once. No, because they uh, they had to go through it for a long time to where right. maybe it was normalized, but uh, but also younger generations had to deal with more strife than current generations do. It's yeah. why a lot of times you'll you'll see people rise up from from terrible situations to accomplish greatness because they've had to go through the bad to get to the good versus like I'm not to throw my kids under the bus here. My kids have a better yeah, life than I did. will say it's cool, right? <laughs> I have to find ways to uh, to challenge them, to force them yeah. to deal with Maybe it's artificial adversity, but to still deal with adversity. I think it's one of the reasons why sports is so important for uh, this current generation is because sports provides an organic sort of uh, organic sort of resilience, just in terms of you having to understand how to coexist with the team, how to improve your skills to be good enough to actually uh, be a productive member of the team, but also to deal with not just wins, but more importantly, losses at the same time. Because my kids, I still see them cry when they lose games. And it's important to uh, to grab them in those moments and say, uh, the losses hurt. They should hurt. But it's also important to understand how to conduct yourself both when you lose and when you win, too. Yeah, they're young enough. They're also great kids. Um, not to get too uncle on it, but they're great kids. And y'all have done a great job with them. And it's okay. I mean, they're at an age where it's still okay. Viv's probably at an age where you got to say, hey, we, we can't cry after every loss. Um, but yeah, Calvin, I, Calvin's the bigger problem there for the record. Calvin, yeah, well, he's also younger and he's a boy, and girls mature emotionally and physically, uh, quicker than guys do. But yeah, I think, I think it's huge. I think it's huge to, but also, there are so many safe spaces now, and I think it's important to get out of the safe space, and yeah. that's what hopefully. UT got a lot of that out of their system last year where there are no safe spaces when you play like that against TCU or some of the games where they did not play well and you got to deal with that adversity. And now you're a year later, you're a year older and, and use it to your benefit. I mean, you hit the nail on the head, man. A lot of people, that's why so many people that, that are coming from different countries in a really serious bad situations and get here, end up making a lot of their life or, even for them, you may look at it and say, hey, I, I can't believe you're doing this job. For them, that first off, it shows a lot of durability to be outside, maybe working in 106 every single day and busting your ass. But also it, it shows that that they came a long way and probably learned a lot of lessons to be as happy as they are with what may, a lot of us would look at and say, man, I could never do that job. And they think it's the best job in the world because because they've got this bank of experience and a lot of those are bad and they help them out. I don't do this a ton, but uh, whenever I get an Uber, I don't really get taxis in Austin anymore because the taxi service here is uh, thankfully pretty much died. It's, it was atrocious for 30 years and there was ever a market that Uber and Lyft needed to, to be in to, uh, to take over the shitty taxi service. It was here in Austin. But whenever I'm in a Lyft now or an Uber, and uh, always or usually try and uh, spark up a conversation with the driver. If that person has a distinct accident where I can tell that they came from someplace else, I will straight up ask them, 
like, hey, you know, uh, where you come from? They'll tell me where they come from. Say, do you think, uh, is your life better here in America than it is wherever you came from? And without fail, every time, my life is better. And they're essentially, they're driving a cab for a living. But their life is better than whatever they moved from with their uh, their original country. You know, I'm the, I don't say the king of that, but you've seen me in New York with taxis and- they'll have to shut off the meter and we'll still have a five minute conversation because it's fascinating to learn about people. It's one of the great things about America. We've got all these people from all over the world that are trying to get here. And yeah, America's got to fix a lot of stuff, but, uh, but it's also a lot better than certain younger generations want to make it out to be. And um, that, those are always the best examples. But for me, I take a ton out of it because I learn about a different country. And you know, the first thing I'm asking is, What's your favorite food from that country? Is there any place in this city that does that authentically? And for them, they get a kick out of it too because they can tell that there's some gringos actually interested in their life story. No doubt about that. All right, as far as the Texas Longhorns finding themselves at number 11 in the preseason AP poll that came out yesterday, does that seem like a fair ranking to you right now? Yeah, completely fair. Uh, I think you have to balance. I think their talent on paper is better than 11. It is what it is, bro. And we all know it, that they're going to, it's been such the Texas were back. And some of that's media, a lot of that's media driven, but they've also had more talent that hasn't been developed that doesn't show up with wins and losses for what? 10, 12, 13 years now. So I know you got a 2017 in there. You've got a couple of things, but No, this is one of those that I would say, actually, you shouldn't be ranked fifth or sixth in the country, but we're going to meet in the middle and say, I was never going to put you in the top 20 until you proved it, but we're going to meet in the middle. And I think 11, 12, you can put them at nine, but I would do 11 or 12. Don't put them in the top 10 yet. They haven't earned it on the field. I wish they were 15 or 20. I want to see that chip a little bit larger on their shoulder. I wish they were unranked. And not getting receiving votes because getting back to the psychological thing, you know, the best thing Kirby Smart did last year, it was brilliant, actually. I don't know how he pulled it off. What did you hear the guys when they won the national championship or heading into it? Their players, their nine first round draft picks, whatever it was. You know, Kirby told us that we're getting no respect, nobody thinks we can do this. What? No, we all think he can do it. and But he convinced them in that locker room that they were being disrespected. That's how you do it. He's taking a lesson from Michael Jordan from the yeah. last dance documentary where MJ is playing in another finals. Or maybe it was, no, it wasn't his first finals. It was against the uh, the Supersonics that year where he, he goes into a restaurant and he, he gets bent out of shape. I forget if it was George Carl or Gary Payton or somebody that he saw in the restaurant. George Carl. And he starts giving them shit about uh, about how badly they're disrespecting him. And George Carl's like, dude, you're Michael Jordan. You're the best player in the world. But Michael Jordan needed to create that conflict in his head to get himself motivated enough to continue to accomplish greatness. Yeah, Jordan is a great example of you can do that. I guess you can do it in your professional life. Be careful with it because you turn into what we talked about earlier. You try and start grass fires somewhere else. And you you don't focus on you. You focus on your competition and try and sabotage them because they're going to win. But in sports, it's a great thing to do. 
that would that would that would tire every day. If you're looking in front of the mirror and Justine walks in and you're screaming at the mirror, nobody likes me. Um, just relax on that. But for sports, it's uh, it's psychotic and sociopathic, but it's it's pretty uh, you know, pretty rewarding and it actually can help you out a lot if you pull it off. I did see that Kirby Smart uh, had his guys study the New Zealand All Blacks this offseason because it's one of the most successful sports franchises in history. And they've what is that, rugby? sustained success. Yeah, they've been able to sustain success over decades. And so he basically had his team study their mentality and what it takes to just continue to achieve greatness after you've gotten there a couple of times. Interesting. Interesting. I didn't know you were a big rugby guy. I'm not a big rugby guy, but I did see that. And I'm, I'm somebody who is uh, interested in how people accomplish greatness and then also good leadership strategies. And so I, I do pay attention to that. And that article jumped out to me just as just in terms of uh, something that Kirby had his guys focusing on this off season. It could all be for not, it could be, you know, Shaka smart having, having his basketball team train with the Navy SEALs. And you realize, Oh, they, have, right. they don't have the, uh, the medal of Navy SEALs as we get through the season. Right. Uh, but Georgia uh, uh, Kirby smart and Georgia now have the skins on the wall. Do we give uh, a little bit more respect in a situation like that? I think you also have the New Zealand team make sure they drive at least only 30 over the speed limit. <laughs> Not a big group of speeders, the uh, the All Blacks of New Zealand. Maybe that's a, maybe that's a big part of it too. Hey, uh, I want to I want to ask you with UT football. Yeah. BK and I got into it a little bit. I think this will be the best offensive line they've had since 06. Um yeah. and the deepest one they've had. That's not a huge statement because their offensive line's been garbage for a decade. They've had individual guys that are really good, but as a unit. The receiving core, assuming they all stay healthy, which I think is a big assumption. I mean, Jordan Whittington, Isaiah Nayor, apparently Xavier Worthy had a broken hand last year, whether you buy that or not, whatever. He probably had some kind of a hurt hand. Call um, him on that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of am too, but I also like that. I like Sark taking up for his guy. It just was weird timing. And, and maybe it is real too, because – Sark's not going to come out and say that if you know he's got a hurt hand. But, yeah, I mean, it felt like a little protection, and if so, whatever. But they've got guys that have been injury-prone. But add in JT Sanders with that, you, you've you watched as much UT football as I have and for as long. You remember the last receiving core that was that deep and also complemented each other that well? I'll throw in Jontae Cook. So you've got speed guys. You've got bigger body guys. You've got a big-time tight end. The closest I'm coming here, because this may be as good as we've ever seen a receiving core, the, the closest that I'm coming, though, is Roy Williams, uh, Sloan Thomas, B.J. Johnson, and Bo Scaife. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um, you could even throw in Kyle Shanahan, who actually was a good complimentary guy. True, as yeah. A possession, possession receiver. Yeah, I, I think it's probably right up there. They've got a chance to be – to be really dynamic offensively. You get a mind like Sark, I think it'll take a lot of pressure off very young but talented running backs. And if the offensive line, and once again, the main thing is, is if Quinn Ewers is as good as we think, and at times we saw last year, 
sky's the limit for them offensively. Well, Katie, you and I have talked about this uh, over the last couple of months. One of the most underrated aspects of this offensive line heading into the season is Christian Jones deciding to return for one more year. I feel like oh, even as he was breaking out last season, a lot of people were sleeping on just how good he was becoming. To get him for one more year, there's a good chance after this season we see him earning an NFL paycheck. I mean, he, I know that he's overshadowed by Kelvin Banks because Kelvin was so good as a true freshman on the left side last season, but uh, people need to recognize the talent that uh, is on display with Christian Jones at that right tackle spot. I do think, just for full disclosure, I the last year what I've been doing, I, I've worked with Christian Jones, Kelvin Banks, Cam Williams, and DJ Campbell. So I'll, I'll get that out there. Um, if I didn't have great things to say about them, I just wouldn't talk about them, right? I'm not going to sit here and certainly disparage any kid. But every Texas guy we've worked with that we're working or we're working with, um, I was working with, were really, really good kids. Christian Jones is a special guy. He's also one of those guys when you when you see him up close, oh my God, he fits the bill, but is incredibly smart, is definitely a team leader, and for some of those younger guys they can look up to. And I think Christian Jones, the the development he had last year really speaks to how they're developing guys. Hmm. He had all the potential. He got his body in better shape. He learned a lot more. He got better. The fact that Cam Williams is not starting at right tackle and Christian probably will, and Cam's going to play a lot. I think we'll, we'll rotate, but really speaks to where this offensive line is. But you're, Christian Jones is the guy, because we know what Kelvin Banks is. The fact that they really feel like they can anchor that right side too. Um, I think Christian Jones will be one of those guys when the draft comes around this next year. I, I think he's going to be a lot higher than certainly people would have thought two years ago. Does it surprise you at all to hear that DJ Campbell is uh, overtaking Cole Hudson at that right guard spot? No, not at all. And not a shock against Cole. I think Cole's going to be a big part of this. I think they're going to be guys that could be six or seven and will play a lot too. We talk about rotating defensive linemen. Offensive linemen are big too. And when you can rotate them a little bit and feel just as comfortable doing that, that does help you out on third and three in the fourth quarter when it's 98 degrees outside. So not really. He's a five-star. I would throw him in there. All the guys I mentioned, uh, they're all different in their own way. I think Kelvin and Christian are probably the most alike personality-wise. DJ is a great young man and is busting his ass and wants to be great. All four of those guys, and I'm only speaking of them because I know that they – they all want to be great, and they're all doing everything they can every single day to get to that level. And I think it finally started to click for DJ. He also had some injury problems. And heck, even this spring, I know he had a cast on that DJ's, DJ's been, like Cam, has been sitting in the background and learning and learning and getting his body in the right shape, but also really learning the position. That's a lot more cerebral position than the average football fan knows. Thank you to everybody commenting on the YouTube comment stream right now. That includes our friend Christy from Cakes Rock. Of course, she is a huge Bulldogs fan. She has this to say. Kirby also took the team motto for this year from the study of the All Blacks. Better never rests. Go Dogs. I know she is a huge football fan. 
we got to get her on board too because I know we we've seen some of her cakes before. She's wow. a great great person, but does really damn good work. Talk about somebody who takes really good care of herself too. Oh I don't know if I was around that much cake, I would be a fat slob. But uh, Christy is about as in shape as anybody around. No, she makes you look like Pete and Cavillia. <laughs> I was hoping like for a beer, but I'll take Inky. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking more Inky, like towards the end there, you know. Was Inky one of the last guys to go straight from college to the pros? I don't believe he spent any time in the minors, did he? He may not have, and he may have been. I don't know the answer to that, but yeah, he he was the best power hitter, still arguably the best power hitter in college baseball history. You know, I'd say Oklahoma State has the best pure hitter of all time and the best power hitter. Now, that was pre-Big 12. Did you ever see Pete Incavillia at Oklahoma State in person? Yeah. I mean, Oklahoma State would come down here and usually either for a regional or they would come down for uh, for a series. Saw Ventura, saw Inky, and they were – those guys Those guys were just different. Great story about Incavillia. He is taking batting practice, and the UT team is giving him crap. And he throws down his bat and goes over and says, any of you motherfuckers who want me to come out right now. And Tommy Harmon always gave the story that half the team just went bolting into the clubhouse. <laughs> Inky was not a guy to mess with. No, he looked rough. I remember thinking that he was a rough and tumble dude watching him as a kid on the Rangers. I mean, he always had that top button or two unbuttoned and he had the big gold chain going on too. Yeah. Tested. I, I will say of those Rangers teams, there's one guy, even above Inky, I would never mess with. I don't care if he's 85 and in a wheelchair. Mm, not Julio Franco, not Ruben Sierra, not Juan Gonzalez. Scott Fletcher. No. Steve <laughs> Bouchel. Bingo. What? Even no way. I was just saying that jokingly. Steve Bouchel. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Steve, yeah, Steve Bouchel. Steve Bouchel at 80 years old would whip you, me, and BK in our prime, the three of us trying to whip two other guys who can actually fight who are big. Steve Bouchel is, a, yeah, he does a good job on the post game. Go look at him even as an assistant coach. He is a red ass and is a just country strong is a bigger guy when you actually see him. Steve Bouchelle, I wouldn't mess with to to uh well to save my life, I would, but I'd lose my life. <laughs> I see the red assness that you're talking about. You sure it's not Pete O'Brien? <laughs> <laughs> Who was the catcher y'all had with glasses back in the day? Gino so, Petrolli. It wasn't Petrolli. Who was it? Uh Mike Stanley. It may have been Stanley. Do you know Petrolli took a ball to the face at some point? I want to say in the late 80s. And I remember him being one of the first guys that I ever saw wearing that helmet that was protecting his uh, his jaw and his mouth at the same time, too. That's smart. Why didn't we have that as kids? I maybe maybe would have, have would have been bailing as much. It, I mean, when we were tell me if this was your the same situation that you dealt with in Little League, where you always have the kid who was like two to three years more developed than everybody else who inevitably ends up as the best pitcher in the league yep. is pumping it at 65 or 70, whatever the equivalent is of 95 to 100 for little league and how much closer you are to the plate. But we had too many of those guys in my little league. And I was also not 
a great hitter at that point in time. And so I, I had no chance. I mean, the few times that I did get off the bench, if one of those guys was on the mound, I mean, I was, I was protecting myself the entire time. I wasn't trying to look for a pitch. I was trying to make sure I didn't get hit in the face. Yeah, no, I, I was a pretty good hitter until everything started spinning around 13, 14, 15. So in Little League, I, I was I was a pretty good player. and okay. But I was on second base, and Kyle Oliver is at, at the plate. So I've got a great angle, and he got hit in the eye, and it mm. like shattered his eyeball. Mm. None of us dug in for the next two weeks. I could not have been bailing more. As, because yeah, it's it's natural, and most of us just weren't built to. I talked about it mentally, flush stuff earlier, but also, you know, I wouldn't call us pussies, but you didn't want to get hit, right? No, and I see that in the other sports that my kids play right now, where there are clearly eight, six, seven-year-olds who are much more physically developed than everybody else, and. I wonder if the coaches don't need to be a little bit more proactive and telling them to chill out sometimes. Cause I see some of these kids that look like they're 10 or 11 year olds kicking the ball as hard as humanly possible, occasionally hitting this poor six year old in the face who just doesn't have the reactionary ability to, to protect himself in that situation. You're talking soccer balls, soccer. I mean, I've seen it in volleyball a little bit. It's not as prevalent in volleyball because you're hitting a ball over the net, but even even then, some of the volleyballs come over the net. If the kid's not putting their hands up in front of their face, it's going to hurt them. But that's also the lessons that you learn in sports is you learn how to protect yourself and you get that hand-eye coordination a little bit better. Talking about a baseball, man. Uh, give me a fucking break. A volleyball or a soccer ball, good. They need to get hit in the face. Maybe it'll bruise them a little bit and teach them about life. So the, so the soccer you like ball is quickly, hard. You like how quickly I flipped on that with the – but a, a baseball's hard. A volleyball – Volleyball is the softest of the three. The soccer balls these days, it's this, it's a pretty firm leather. And if the ball is pumped up hard enough, <laughs> it's going to leave them, it's going to leave a mark. It's not Which as hard as fine. Baseball. How many race. marks riding our bike going home? How many marks did we have? Falling off of it. Look, you're right about that. And uh kids do not ride bikes around neighborhoods all that often anymore, sadly. Like my allowed to right? parents won't let them do that. No, look, they're they're eight. My my kids are eight and six right now. Could they conceivably do so? Yeah. Did was I riding around the neighborhood by myself at eight and six, literally going neighborhoods over? Yes. I was. But uh we were all a little bit more terrified at the prospect of uh of our kids being kidnapped and something even more terrible happening to them after that. My mom and your mom, we were in the Adam Walsh generation. I know. The numbers were actually going down for child abductions. Yet, Cindy, I love Cindy to death, and she's a good mom and, and obviously cared a lot about me. But we go to Barton Creek Mall, don't get out of my sight there. But then she'd let me just go ride my bike all day. Hey, when it's dark, come back in. There, there was an element to that. Not that I would suggest this in Chicago now, but – my grandma in Chicago lived downtown, drink up, because I know you live in Chicago, right? And once I once she realized I knew downtown and knew the city and knew that Cabrini Green was six blocks that way, don't go there. I used to walk from East Huron, which is essentially Water Tower, John Hancock, across the bridge by myself at 10 years old. Get back, get back for dinner. That was it. 
and look how well I turned out. <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently the Mag Mile is desolate at this point, just because of all yeah. the time that occurred there since uh, since the summer of or that initial summer of COVID. Like businesses don't want to be downtown anymore, and there have been enough. Right flash mobs jumping tourists that the tourists, even if they stay down there, they try and visit other neighborhoods during the day to, uh, to stay away from the mag mile and the potential that exists in total fairness. That's the safest downtown Chicago in the history of Chicago, probably. So she also knew that she was, she was born there. Hell in probably 1810. I forgot when Danny was born there, but never saw Cubs win a world championship, but yeah, so it was safer than you and I also took the subway in New York City at 3.30 in the morning. I wouldn't take it at 3.30 p.m. right now. No, the subway is a disaster. I still remember when I first moved to Chicago and somebody was telling me to take the blue line to get from point A to point B. I'm like, uh, is that safe? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, well, I don't know. I come from a state where right. the subway system is shit, and I've only yeah, seen no. – I've only seen it in movies of people having switchblades pulled out on them in the subway. Now, granted, that was mostly New York City that I was seeing that, but the Chicago L seems like it has that sort of a potential too. And by the way, if you are on the Chicago L late enough at night, the uh, likelihood increases greatly, but this may have changed in the last three years. But uh, when I was there 10, 15 years ago, when you were, uh, when you were on the L, you were, you're, you're good to go if it's the middle of the yeah. day. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think all this, it, it's cyclical. Uh, obviously, a lot of it is political. We're not going to get into that, but it shouldn't be political. We should all want safety and crime to be prosecuted and, and also cops to be fair. I mean, it, it, this, there should be like, it should be a 93% approval on all this stuff together. Yet, for some reason, uh, a lot of these big cities are having issues. New York, I know from uh, friends I have up there are blown away and super liberal friends who just can't believe what has happened to the city. And um, so it's, uh, yeah, but it's cyclical. At some point, I'll be able, I, I won't go to New York, San Francisco, Chicago, LA, or Seattle. And three of those are my favorite cities to travel to in America being New York, Chicago, and San Francisco. And I just won't go, but at some point I will once they clean their shit up. Literal shit in the case of uh, San Francisco and some yeah. other, I don't, I don't know if San Francisco ever makes it all the way back with just how I don't either. allowed things to slump. We went to Oregon earlier this summer and flew in and out of Portland and the first day that we're there, we stayed in Portland overnight before working our way to uh, the southwest part of the state. But I met up with some friends that I had known from uh, from when I lived in Oregon 15 years ago. And these guys love Portland. And one of them is very much on the liberal side of the political conversation. The other one's uh, a bit more of a, an independent thinker like you and I are. But neither of them could stop talking about how big of a disaster the homelessness policy was there. Even though they've tried to do some things to uh, to course correct, it is all over the place. That was evident to us driving around pretty much wherever we went in the city. But it also made me realize, Kevin, that the decision that the Austin voters made a couple years ago, and by the way, this is thanks to the efforts of uh, Matt Makoviak and Save Austin Now. I forget what his organization was called. 
Uh, but for them to get that petition signed by enough people to allow the voters to decide to reinstate the homeless camping ban was one of the best thing the uh, people of Austin have ever done for the sake of the city. Yeah, I, I was glad to see that. And, and it was cool to see you and I are both independent thinkers, as we said. So you could catch us at a party, whether it's left or right, and we're either agreeing with people or pissing people off. That, it, that there is no one side, that it's issue to issue. And uh, I, was, I thought it was cool that, that Austin did that. And mainly for homeless people, I, I think that's an awful lot in life. And we should do everything we can to help them out and actually get them real help. It, it, it wasn't helping anyone out. An enormous disservice to everybody. And I think this may be the last thing before we uh, bid the people adieu, but I was at the grocery store over the weekend and had a couple of things happen to me that I need to vent to you because uh, look, people who suck at driving, I mean, it's pretty much as old as automobiles. I'm assuming like when the model T was out, there were probably people who sucked at driving model T's and, those <laughs> at it, and we're getting annoyed at these shitty model T drivers, but uh, things have uh, only gotten worse since then because there were more cars and more people on the road, and more people who seem to be either one of two things, oblivious to what's going on around them, or they just lean into the terrible mistakes and decisions that they make as drivers of cars. And when I parked at the Central Market in Central Austin, it's really close to where you live right now. It's off of North Lamar and probably 39th or 40th Street. Great area. I love this area so much. I can ride my bike to all this stuff, man. I love it. Yeah, you. I'm, I'm jealous of where you live in town. I mean, the, the Houndstooth is over there. Taco Deli, our, our guy Eatry at Floyd's. Antonelli's, a legit cheese shop. Yep, Antonelli's. There's a Fresh Plus over there that's pretty accessible. Yep. There's a lot of good stuff around you. And the Central Market is a grocery store that I go to from Cedar Park. Not to take any shots at HEB. I know how much everybody loves HEB, but the quality of produce and meats at Central Market is better than what you can find at HEB. It's why I go there for those things. Do you think meat meat is? Because I I agree, if I'm going to get romaine lettuce, uh, I get my spices at Central Market, but I pick and choose. Central Market is, it's really expensive. It's good stuff, but it's really expensive. There are proteins that I'll get at HEB or Randall's that I think are close to what you get at Central Market or Whole Foods. So the quality of beef has gone down a little bit at Central Market over the last year plus now. They used to offer straight up grass-fed beef, and now they only offer grass-fed Wagyu, but I don't see Duroc tomahawk pork chops at HEB, for instance. And there's a couple of other examples like that. Uh, not to go too food snob on you with the Duroc uh, tomahawk pork chop. Bring it. We're at the end of the show. Bring it. But you've seen how uh, the, the job that I do with the uh, the tomahawk pork chop. Yeah. I can't get that at my uh, Cedar Park HEB. So I go to the Central Market in Central Austin for that. And I'm sorry, but the produce is much better at Central Market than it is any HEB. It's better than it is at Whole Foods at this point now, too, by the way. So I go there pretty much every Saturday or Sunday morning, depending on what else is happening over the weekend. Yes, sir. Can I say this just to give you some love outside of Mario Batali? Not a fan of what he did. Just saying, ate a Bobo a bunch. Um, and it would have been him. It would have been, uh, would have been cooking at that point. Uh, Frankie, 
that you probably have made the second or third best pork chop I've ever had in my life. Thank you for that. By no, way, you, you know what you're doing, man. And you're, you, you brine it, obviously, right? I do not brine it, no. I just uh, I reverse sear it. I reverse sear it. So I, I cook it low and slow. It takes Explain what that out. is for people that don't know that. Uh, reverse sear is the uh, the oven temp can vary, but you essentially uh, put it in the oven at a low temperature. I typically start at 190 or 200. You have That's the water in there. I know some people consider that to be a cheat. It's not a cheat. It's being able to properly quantify what the center temperature is of the meat that you're cooking. And you well, what let do you it- mean cheat? It's not Bill Belichick with video here. We're trying to make food. I don't care how it comes out. Just get it done cooking purists to feel like anyhow that's it's it's ridiculous in my opinion so you have the meat thermometer in there and pork typically goes to 145 you and i go a little bit below that go no. lower people go lower batali taught me this go to go to 125 130 let it carry over the fda's been screwing us on all this stuff that's why your stuff is dry i also would suggest brining and doing reverse here well, especially with the reverse sear too, by the way, because after you pull it out of the oven, once it gets to temperature, so like I typically put it at 140, even though that's five degrees below 145, the meat is cooked through enough. And when you do the second part of the reverse sear, which is after you let it sit for 30 minutes to an hour, you put it on really, really hot heat for about three to four minutes total. You Flip do a cast it. iron or grill? Um, I will do the cast iron if the grill isn't available because we don't have gas underneath. We've run out of gas recently, but, uh, Justine is pretty OCD about, uh, how long the house smells like pork chops after I do it on the, uh, on the cast iron skillet. So I'll take it outside usually put it on that hot heat. But when you do that, it will. By the way, you can have my place smell like pork chops for two weeks. If you want, I'll take that smell when I wake up in the morning. You and I start living with one another after Justine divorces me. uh, (laughs) (laughs) But when you, when you put it on that, Kevin live with daddy. Now we're not really sure what's going on there. Right. That friendship took a turn. Okay. They play way too much of that new college football video. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, at that point, we're recruiting the way I want to recruit, okay? (laughs) No, you're the recruiting coordinator, and I'm the guy who plays the games. That's how I know. I know. I know. I'm the one that does all the work. I'm the wife. (laughs) So then you throw it on the hot heat for a couple minutes on each side. But when you do that, it raises the temperature up at least a couple of degrees. So uh, having it start a little bit below is, uh, is not the end of the world. But the point of all of this is that I was at Central Market this last weekend and I was sitting in the parking lot for a few minutes uh, finishing up a phone call. And I'm not even kidding you, dude. I watched three or four people pull into their parking spots, nose first, mind you. And they were pulling in like these spots are diagonal, but the spots are perpendicular yeah. to the direction of the parking lot. And on at least two of these occasions, I see the people get out, see that their front or back tire is on the line don't care look at it and then just continuing to walk inside i am not telling you this as somebody who parks perfectly every time although i am an olympic level parallel parker i am not perfect when it comes to parking but when i get on my car and see that my car is not parked well enough where i'm either too close on or over a line or a little bit too crooked i will 
course correct. And I will get back in my car, take the extra 10 seconds as to not completely fuck over the person next to me in the parking spot next to me. But sadly, that seems to be a lost art with far too many people who aren't very good at parking to begin with, Kevin. Driving, driving's been bad in Austin forever. So this is not a shot at Cali people. It's been bad forever. It used to just be, there wasn't much traffic, so it didn't matter. There's some hippie who was stoned, who was going 20. It's like, that's, that's all good, buddy. Let's jet around you. We're all in good, right? In the left lane too, which is a problem. Pardon me? In the left lane too, which is a problem. Yeah, but there wasn't any traffic. So I, if I got to jet around on the, yeah, always be in the right lane. With the way Austin is now, what I do get on the highways, I'm in the middle or right lane because obviously there's not enough cops and there's all these, I mean, have you seen these people on Mopac that are going hundred miles per hour? Yeah. I speed. I'm not, I'm not a hundred miles per hour. Just jetting by you. I'm in the right hand lane or the middle lane, but the parking does really bother me. Driving can be different. And have you and I made, uh, you and I pulled out in front of someone didn't look over enough, had to give the, and always give the wave. If you screw up, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. We're not in China. You're not going to get a social credit discount or a deduction. Just wave and say, sorry, my bad. Didn't see it. My bad. Sorry. The honk deserved. Got it. Parking's easy because parking, you can redo. Parking is about laziness and not giving a shit about other people. To quote Seinfeld, we're living in a society, people. Technically, to quote George Costanza. Right? It, it doesn't take much to... Am I perfect every time I park? Hell no. Do I have to go back and maybe repark it? Because it weighs on my soul and conscience? Yes. Because we're living in a society. I love this town. I love Americans. I love people. Now I'm getting Seinfeld on it. But right, just repark. It's okay. What you're really telling people is, I don't give a shit about you. This is my world. F off. A little bit of courtesy can go a long way. Whether you're talking about making sure you're parking correct, you recognize the zipper method as it pertains to merging into other traffic or allowing somebody to merge into your lane if things are going slowly. Leaving somebody enough room if they're pulling out of a gas station or something and you're stopped at a red light. And by the way, the person who has that nice gesture done for them, having enough wherewithal to stick that hand up. Doesn't take and you're all the way turned into the lane, by the way, so the person behind you can see that you are giving the courtesy wave. Right. Those little things do a lot in helping us to coexist with one another. I totally agree. Also, if you're going down 45th Street and you're heading west and you're about to hit Guadalupe Street, Trey's laughing because he's been with me on this. Um First off, we have middle lanes. So sometimes you can pull out and just get in the middle lane. And that's more Guadalupe going down this way. When I take my little shortcut, there's a middle lane there. You can actually get in there and then merge on in. But if you're on 45th and you're coming down, you're heading west, you're about to hit Guadalupe, you got your, what is it, Walgreens right there. Guess what? There are other people coming this way who are going to go and take a little left on Avenue A. I see so many people right away get in the left-hand lane. And you know what I like to do? I get in there not too quickly, but you're taking a left going this way. I'm taking a left going this way. Guess what? You can't right away get in the middle lane. we got to kind of meet that. 
And yeah, I, I um, no, I'm going to die of a heart attack and blood pressure way too much. <laughs> That middle lane is good. That middle lane is good for merging. I agree with you. And it's not utilized enough. Do you mean the one on Walgreens? Uh, no, I'm talking about the one where you turn on Guadalupe going towards campus from your place. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a long middle lane. This one, in fairness, isn't that long, so I don't lose my shit too much. But you've seen me every time. What do I do? Right away, I get my blinker on, and someone is getting in there. Dude, what are you doing, man? What am I doing? We share this, and you get past this, and then you get over to take your damn left, all right? That's what we're doing. Yeah, there's there's sometimes where I've been driving, you're like, put your blinker on. You are a backseat driver, by the way, but you know that. You're like, put your blinker on. You're a good, you're a good backseat driver. You give great directions. You have taught me shortcuts that I never even thought of, and I've been driving in Austin for decades. You're like, put your left, left blinker on as we're turning onto that street in front of the Walgreens. I'm like, all right. You're like, get over into the middle lane now. Get over into the middle lane. I'm like, dude, there's somebody that's starting to get over. I know. Get over into that middle lane. They're not allowed to have that middle lane. Yeah. They need to wait yeah. for us. They see our blinker on. Yeah. And you're right, but most of the time, I'm too afraid to get into the middle lane because I don't want to uh, have a head-on collision with that other car. That's because you have kids. I'll take the head-on collision to prove a point. <laughs> that's real maturity, Trey. Oh, and there is episode one. <laughs> With uh, my friend, Kevin Dunn. AD, thank you so much. We'll talk again Saturday at, or Friday at noon. Excuse me, Friday at noon. Yeah, yeah. I'm meeting some buddies out uh, on Thursday, and so I should have some good stories. But you and I, this is kind of going to be what we do. We're gonna, we are going to talk a lot of sports. It's also August 15th, and you and I also love baseball, so we'll get into that. But I'm, I'm pumped about football. I haven't been this optimistic about UT football I can't wait to continue the conversation, my friend. We'll talk to you Friday at noon. Thank you to everybody for watching and listening today. If you did enjoy the episode, click that thumbs up button and do make sure to subscribe to the Texas Sports Unfiltered channel. We will talk to you next time. Bye, guys.